Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT, and joined, as always, by my guy, Cody Safdick. You guys can follow him at CJ Safdick on Twitter, and we are here propping you up for the big UFC 274 card headline by two title fights, the first of which, which is uh, the lightweight scrap on the line, Justin Gaethje taking on champion Charles Oliveira, and then in the Coleman event, a rematch eight years in the making, we got Carlos Esparza trying to take the title away from Rose Namajunas. Shout out to the All-Star for having us on their platform. Cody, what is up, my man? What is going on, dude? Happy to be back. Uh, last week, my parlay game just got shredded up, but... <sighs> Have no fear because we are doing the prop show, and that props can definitely save you out from sometimes. Uh, we had Christoph Jocko by decision plus 185, Marlon Vera by decision plus 275, and Johan Line by knockout plus 200. He dropped him, he dropped him, Un unfortunately, didn't materialize. So, two out of three, pretty good, especially when you consider that we had some pretty good plus money associated with it. And I'm looking to do something similar this week. We got 15 fights, there's a couple of these props that are flying under the radar. I think there's a ton of value in. So I'm excited to get after it. Knock on wood that all 15 fights stay on board because it will be great to watch 15 fights come this weekend. Not to mention Bellator has a serving yesterday or tomorrow as well as PFL. So three major-ish uh, MMA events over the next couple of days. A ton to bet on. A ton to, you know, Hopefully, cash some tickets on and get some more green in our pocket. And luckily, me and Cody are here propping you guys up for 274, trying to get the best props for this weekend because there are some chalky fights. But we do want to find the best plus money that we can here. Uh, first, before we get into the show, again, shout out to the All Star for having us on their platform, and shout out to one of our main sponsors here, Bet Online. Make sure you guys go sign up with them and check their uh, their website out there. One of the best MMA bookies on the market. Concerning that they do regional MMA as well, so you want to bet on KSW? Bet Online has you covered. You want to bet on BFL in Vancouver? Bet Online has you covered. And obviously, UFC, Bellator, PFL, all the good stuff. Make sure you guys check out Bet Online. Link is in the description below. They have a 50% welcome bonus up to 1,000 buckaroos. So make sure you guys go check them out as well. Yes, Cody. Well, then you and, I, you and I should talk because I've actually just uh, recently taken over as the head matchmaker for Front Row Fight Club in uh, Ontario. So their first hey. show is June 25th, Niagara Falls. Shout out, putting together some good fights. You know that video of that dude? He's fucking around and he's dancing and then he gets head kicked. Oh, yeah. Have seen the video? We got the guy who kicked him in the head. <laughs> yes, let's go. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna fight Charles Jordan's younger brother Louis, so uh, it's gonna be a good time all together. Fight oh, it was that together. guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I saw Louis' fight get announced. I didn't realize that was the kid though that he's going up against. That's a great fight, and I had no idea that you were the the front row, uh, the 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 matchmaker for them. Congrats on that gig once again. Solid guys over there. When's the first event? Sorry, June twenty fifth, Niagara Falls. So it's eight weeks away. I came on just last week so they're like hey i was like your show's in eight weeks and they're like yeah you got you're just starting on it now i was like man there's not a whole lot of time guys like to train for eight weeks so you're right we got a pfl this week we got a bellator this week there's an lfa this week there's a ufc this week and i'm trying to put this card together the best of my ability but uh i don't blame you for not knowing that it was louis jordan versus who's johan sagas because what i've come yeah. to realize is who is johan sagas but if you say you ever see that video of that dude and he's fucking around and he gets kicked in the head? Everybody has seen the video. Good times to be had by all. And of course, uh, Louis Jordan's the younger brother of a you know top UFC talent right now, doing excellent. He was doing some pro boxing. He's back over now. Guys get a win over Tony Laramie. Yeah, he's the real deal. So uh, yeah, we got some exciting fights to come up the pipe. But 
I find people are a lot more interested in watching fights if they can bet on it. Now I'm the matchmaker. I can't bet on it. And in fact, I can't do a preview show where I tell you who to bet on. But yeah. if Bet Online can come on, they want to do some some uh, regional show stuff, then I can set up a different preview show, have some people that I trust come in. I can tell you exactly everything you need to know about both guys. And I just can't tell you how I think this thing's going to swing or not, right? Yeah, no, I'm sure we can get that made. Uh, I've even reached out to them to do, uh, you know, odds for other regional shows, and they'd be more than willing to do so. So now that the, uh, now that I know that you're at the helm of uh, matchmaking for them, I'm sure they'd be happy to bring you guys on board as well. So we'll keep you guys posted, propping you up, folks. We'll keep you guys posted whether uh, Cody's show will be able to be on Bet Online. But make sure you guys go show them some support and also show CloudBet some show, so, some support as well. Uh, we got a lot of great props that we're going to be touching on throughout this card, and I'll be plugging CloudBet for you guys because they are very receptive to any of the props that we suggest for them and they put them right up so i'll be sure to make sure i mention them when we get to those fights but let's kick this thing off let's get to the first fight of the night we got 15 fights to get through cody first of which we're looking at fernie garcia making his ufc debut against journey newson uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 140 on Fernie Garcia, plus 120 the return on Journey Newsom. Now, Journey, uh, you know, winless inside the UFC so far. Uh, he obviously lost that fight to uh, Ricardo Hamos in his UFC debut. I believe, yeah, he uh, knocked out Domingo Pilarte in the uh, in his second fight, but that got overturned because of a failed drug test from Journey Newsom. And then in his next fight, he goes out there and gets knocked out by Randy Costa. That fight was close to two years ago. It's been a long time since we've seen Journey Newsom in the cage. I believe that's why he is the underdog here because if you guys actually match up these guys after watching the tape, you, you kind of come away with the Journey Newsom side here probably being the slight favorite. Solid striker, good jiu-jitsu player, uh, decent volume. Sometimes he is low output, but he waits for his moments to actually go out there and, and throw the pr correct strikes at the opportune moments. Uh, Fernie Garcia, you know, going to split decisions against very rough competition on the regional scene. Uh, his bread and butter seems to be a striking, but really doesn't implement it the greatest. Uh, he doesn't have any head movement or anything like that. Uh, I think it'll be an easy target for Jenny Newsom to hit him over and over and over again. And I do expect this fight to also go over. So I'm expecting this fight to, to go the full 15 minutes. I do lean on the Journey Newsom side. Uh, you know, we don't need to get too greedy. Even taking his money line here at plus 120, I think is a solid spot. Fight to go the distance at minus 145, not too bad of a prop either. But uh, if you want to mix those two things together and go Journey Newsom by decision, you're looking at plus 235. Sign me up. What do you think about this one, Cody? Am I am I off here? No, I don't mind Journey Newsom. I mean, uh, similar to the more successful and popular rock and roll band Journey, they never stopped believing, and I won't stop believing in Journey here. Like, I think there's some things you could like about his game. The problem is the recency bias, and that he's been inactive for two years. The last time he fought, it was less than a minute. The time he fought before that, it was less than a minute. So, how how much? data can you really get on the guy we do know that he was a professional boxer we do know that he had heavy hands we do know that you know he, he has that win-win over Pilarte, which unfortunately overruled to a no contest but there's some pop there i actually was more impressed with his debut against ricardo ramos where of course he's coming in as an underdog and did lose the fight but he showed that there's some skill there now the thing with randy costa is he is going to bum rush you and he's either going to knock you out in a spectacular fashion very quickly or probably gets fatigued along the way and you're able to beat him up Unfortunately for Journey Newsom, it was the former and not the latter, and he just got knocked out really quickly. But that's something that's susceptible to happen to guys. They can get caught, especially when they take on someone that's that aggressive. So I'm not completely willing to write him off because with Ferdinand Garcia, you mentioned the split decisions against 
lackluster guys. How's about this? The Ryan Hayes split decision, Marquis Smith split decision, Cody Freeman split decision, his pro debut Glenn Baker split decision. Both of his last losses as an amateur were both split decision. The guy's always in close and competitive fights. I wouldn't want to back him as the favorite. Beyond that, he's coming off, again, recency bias. He's coming off a knockout win in the Ultimate Fighter first-round knockout. Prior to that, he's got a string of five straight decisions dating back to 2018. So he has one knockout win as a professional, and it's his most recent. So, yeah, I don't think he's got that power to just knock out Journey early, which has kind of been what's been plaguing him lately. And so you're probably going to have striker versus striker. They both seem to be primarily boxers. I would say that Fernie Garcia's got the more output. Journey Newsom's got the heavier hands. And it's really just going to come down to what the judges watch. Fernie's been in so many splits. A lot of the time, the judges don't care for his volume. They're looking for the more impactful moments. And of course, a year and a half on the sideline, in theory, Journey Newsom could be coming back as a more refined, better fighter. He could have done some improvements to his game. We don't fully know. But yeah, for dog money plus 125, I think he gets it done. For him by decision, it's a pretty fair price tag. But I think if you want to play it safe and you said, listen, this is a 50-50 fight that I'm not very confident either way. You guys are talking a lot of theory. Don't love it. I think you go the over two and a half at minus 165. Or like you said, the fight goes the distance at minus 145. I love it. Yeah, I'm glad that we see this thing the same way. Uh, we'll be interested to see what kind of form we get Journey Newsom in, especially after that long layoff. But I think me and Cody are both on the side of the underdog here to kick off the card. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Ariadne Carnalosi going up against Lupita Godinez. Minus 185 on Godinez, plus 160 to return on Carnalosi. Now, Carnalosi is riding a two-fight winning streak, uh, both of which are coming via finish, uh, the first of which was against Nile Young. That was the first fight back in front of a live crowd in the United States after COVID, UFC 261, and good God, that fight still gives me goosebumps because the crowd was packed right off the jump, and those women brought the fight right away. Like, they just went to war almost immediately. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about the fight right now because because the crowd was just eating it up. And it was just so surreal to hear the crowd that ruckus for that first fight, and not to mention that first fight after this whole COVID uh, debacle that we were dealing with. A great fight there. Obviously, Carnalosi deals with the grappling of Naliang early, uh, toughs it out, and then eventually finds that finish in the second round after Naliang looks absolutely spent going into that second round, trying to get that finish in the first. And then she follows that up with the third round finish of uh, Estela Nunes, you know, Estella showed off even in her last fight against Sam Hughes that she has great bite in the first, you know, maybe seven and a half to eight minutes of a fight, but it really starts to fall off and her opponents are really able to start uh, picking it up the later a fight goes. That's what Carnalosi was uh, successful with in that fight, and she eventually gets a tap in the third round. On the flip side for Lupita Godinez, uh, she's been trading wins and losses since coming into the UFC. Currently holds a 2-2 two and two record, but that second loss, we got to give her a little, or cut her a little bit of slack, considering she took it on a week's notice and up a weight class against a much bigger opponent in Luana Carolina, who was stuffing her takedowns, and she just could not get her game going at all in that spot but she does bounce back with a solid win over Loma Lukbuni in her last fight where she lands five takedowns and gets a, a grand total of seven and a half minutes of control time uh and really working uh Loma Lukbuni on the mat there great work from her there to get back onto the winning track now she's going up against the I like to call her mini Jessica Andrade right she is just a tank of a human being Ariana Cornelosi that is um I think we see Godinez land the takedowns here. It might be a little bit difficult at first, but I think as the fight starts to wear on, she'll be able to get this fight to the ground, really grind on Carnalosi, maybe open up a submission opportunity for her later in this fight. But I do think ultimately that she wins this fight by decision. And that's currently sitting at plus 100.
So give me plus 100 on the Godinez side. She's very durable, very difficult to put away. So even if you want to parlay the fight goes to decision at minus 240, I wouldn't be batting an eye at that as I do think that this will likely go the full 15 minutes. But I do lean with the Canadian here. I do think she gets off on a grappling, her wrestling, lays on Carnalosi, grinds on her, gets some ground and pound, maybe a couple of submission attempts, but ultimately taking home that decision victory. What about yourself, Cody? How do you see this one going down? Yeah, I fall into the same position. Lupita Godinez seems to have a wrestling and grappling advantage over a lot of the girls in the division at 115 pounds. You saw her struggle a little bit to get those takedowns consistently at 125, but Luana Carolina is not only a 125-pound fighter, but she's really tall and lanky, so getting her off of her feet with a rear waist body lock or just any type of double-unders wasn't really going to work for her. The problem that I take away from that fight is that when she realized hey, I can't get this girl down. At no point did she separate and try to box. She, Lupita Godinez is a good boxer. Nice combinations, tight hands, but it seems like she's not comfortable striking for a prolonged period of time. So I think she beats Carnalosi, assuming she boxes her up for a little bit and then gets those takedowns. If this thing ends up getting the takedowns get stuffed, Carnalosi keeps it standing and it stands a, it's a striking match. I think Lupita Godinez will have spots. She'll have moments, but I think the volume will probably come from Carnalosi down the stretch. But I feel confident enough that uh, Lupita Godinez will get the takedowns. I mean, again, with Carnalosi, debuts against Angela Hill, puts up a very valiant effort. Did it look like she was fatiguing a little bit? Maybe. But UFC debut, tough girl in Angela Hill, you know, fast enough pace, give her a pass. It's that Naliang fight. I mean, she gives up three takedowns, easy takedowns. Doesn't seem like takedown defense is really her forte. And against Lupita Godinez, that's going to be a problem, is that she relied on, on Naliang tiring out, and then she's able to take over. And the Estella Nunes fight, much of the same. I mean, Estella Nunes just doesn't have a good gas tank. So the more that the fight progresses, they start to fatigue, they start to slow down, you're going to take over. I don't think that's going to be a spot available for Lupita Godinez. Very briefly, in my head, flashed Lupita Godinez by submission plus 500. Because Lupita Godinez is not really known for her submission game, but you did see her get that really nice belly down armbar against Gomez just a few fights back. And honestly, if this fight's going to predominantly uh, be spent with her on top of Carnalosi, getting the takedowns, roughing her up, the submission could present itself at some point if she can tire out Carnalosi. But more than uh, more often than not, I mean, I haven't seen anything to suggest that Ariane Carnalosi is fragile. I think that she'll be able to just wear out the positions. Lupita Godinez also doesn't have hellacious ground and pound. Her submission game isn't so tight, but I think she's going to snatch him up on a lot of this division. So... Yeah, I think I think logic eventually takes over and you settle into the Lupita by uh, by decision. A plus one hundred is probably your safest option. I know you're about to say Lupita by Godinez, and I completely <laughs> understand because she'll Lupita. likely go out there and get the dub here. Glad that we're on the same side uh, of that as well. And I'm glad that you brought up how easily the takedowns of uh, Nalion came against Ariane Carnalosi because that just spells trouble for uh, Carnalosi, especially going up against a much better grappler here in Godinez. All right, let's move along here. Next up, we got uh, CJ Vergara going up against Clayton Rodriguez. Both guys coming off the contender series. Clayton Rodriguez last time around. Uh, winning on the contender series, obviously, to get that uh, contract. A three-round decision victory over Santu Corotolo. Was a decent uh, prospect on the regional scene there. I believe out of the northwest or northeast, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, great great performance from him there. Landing all, close to 100 significant strikes. Uh, even going for a sub-attempt there. Uh, great, great performance from him there. Looks like, uh, you know, looks a little raw still 
still, you know, he's 27 years old. There, there's a lot of things that he can still go out there and improve on, but the kid looks like he has a ton of potential. On the flip side for CJ Vergara, he got that, that quick knockout victory over Bruno Cojea on the contender series, which punched his victory or uh, his uh, his ticket to the UFC, where he fell flat in his debut against O'Day Osborne way back at UFC 268 last November. That was a fight where I thought it was going to be violence, right? I, I had a bet on the under two and a half there and was surprised to see it go the full 15 minutes. Vergara is a decent striker, but I just don't know if he has what it takes to cut it in the UFC. Clayton Rodriguez, if he can really you know, up the volume a little bit more and, and stay mobile, keep his cardio about him. He should be able to go out there and beat, you know, Vergara pretty much in every aspect of this fight. As long as he doesn't slow down because Vergara is pretty hard-nosed, he likes to stay in your face and put uh, uh, the output on you. But as long as Rodriguez can either uh, strike first or, or get off first uh, and even counter effectively when he needs to, he should be able to keep Vergara off of him long enough to be able to, you know, get... get uh, get solid points, get uh, get the output out there, get his numbers up there, and then eventually take this fight via decision. So uh, I do like Rodriguez. I honestly think he's worth the chalk at minus 350, uh, plus 285 is the return on Vergara. But uh, I do think Rodriguez goes out there, wins this fight via decision, which is currently sitting at plus 155. Sign me up. What do you think about this one, Cody? Yeah, I agree. I think CJ Vergara, to a much lesser extent, is getting the like Chris Moutinho treatment, where in his first fight, he didn't really show off much. You know, he got pretty handedly defeated in the first two rounds by Ode Osborne. He's just beating him to the punch, staying longer, staying more active, uh, beating him, beating him pretty much everywhere. And then in the third round, he kind of grits forward and he outlands Ode, and Ode's tired and backpedaling. It's like, oh, this guy's a fighter. He's a scrapper. He's talented. That's fine, but you need to rely on your opponent getting tired and falling apart. The first two rounds in the Osborne fight, he was coming forward. He was trying to mix it up, but again, he looked limited. Uh, your own words, I don't know how far this guy's going to go in the UFC. Like, I don't know uh, the, his limitations. It looked to me in the first two rounds, certainly, like, yeah, guys like Ode are going to be faster, more athletic. They're, they're longer. They're better strikers. He didn't really have a ground game to fall back on. He was just a warm body in there. In the third round, he comes alive. So he would need to do the same thing here against Clitson Rodriguez, but I'm sold on this kid, man. I think he's a legitimate contender, 125-pound uh, contender. He needs to get some more experience. He needs to rack up some wins in the UFC, but seems to have a very bright future. Now, is he going to slow down the same way that Ode did? Because I think if he doesn't slow down, he does a lot of uh, similar things. Stays at the outside. He's super active. One thing he does better than Osborne is that he can fight at range, but inside the pocket, he throws nasty knees up the middle, nasty elbows inside the clinch. He's good at both ranges. Ground game seems to check out. But beyond that, you go back to that Santo uh, Cudarolo fight. And Cudarolo, again, you did bring this up. Guy's a legitimate prospect, man. This guy looks good. He's in excellent shape. He's fought in some pretty good guys. What I liked is Clitson Rodriguez lands 23 significant strikes in the first round. Lands 30 significant strikes in the second round. Lands 38 significant strikes in the third round. Builds it up all three. Again, throws 40 in the first, 47 in the second, 51 in the third. He's not slowing down. Cardio seems to check out. At 125 pounds, these guys should be able to fight for days. And I think he's one of these guys that's going to have the ability to fight 15 minutes. I wouldn't say effortlessly, but, you know, still have some gas left over. So if he stays long, minds his P's and Q's, you know, intercepts Varguera on the way in over and over again, I think he does defeat him. I think he's worth the chalk at minus 350. I think he's one of the guys that I'm going to go to this week. But what's the prop? What's the best prop, right? And in my mind, he has shown finishes on the regional scene he's putting these guys away but i would think vergara tough hard nose you know someone that hasn't shown a whole lot of durability issues in his career ode osborne hit him with some clean shots he took all of those and kept coming forward if he just makes it a scrappy fight still loses on the scorecards but is in it to win it this thing's going to decision i don't think clinton rodriguez has got that 
refined finishing ability that he's just to clip him and knock him out. So I think he just beats him to the punch, plays it somewhat safe. And like you said, you were surprised Ode and Vergara went the full distance last time. I hope you're not surprised this time. So I'm hoping it just racks up those 15 minutes and Rodriguez gets his hand raised. And it's a really nice looking price tag on that Rodriguez by decision at plus 160, about that plus 155, plus 160 range. So sign me up for that. That's the route I'm going. I love it. I love it. All right, let's keep this going along because, again, we got a full 15-fight card uh, ahead of you here, and we definitely want to spend a little bit more time on the main card. So let's keep this train moving along. Next up, we got Tracy Cortez, who's coming in around that minus 140 range. Earlier in the week, she was in that minus 200 range. A lot of love coming in on Melissa Gato, who currently sits at plus 120. Very intriguing fight here. Melissa Gato obviously coming off a dominant victory over Sajara Eubanks, where she finishes her in the third round of their fight, and that was right after after she actually got her uh, a big win in her UFC debut back in August, where she finished Victoria Leonardo in the second round. I believe Leonardo uh, broke her arm or something, her forearm, and was not able to continue in that fight. Gato, you know, she's starting to press me, you know, with every single performance. She's a nasty striker. She doesn't mind playing with her guard a little bit, which could come back and bite her in the ass, especially in a fight like this, where Tracy Cortez is a very good grappler in her own right. But uh, speaking of uh, Cortez, you know, flat performance from her last time around, especially after missing weight against Justine Kish. She does pick up the split decision victory there, but it was way too close of a fight, especially for her being as big of a favorite as she was in that fight. Uh, she is undefeated in the UFC, obviously, you know, wins with uh, over Vanessa Mello and Stephanie Ager. A lot of that coming from her grappling. That's what she's she's best at. You know, she's training at Fight Ready MMA. Uh, great coaching staff over there. Santino DeFranco, one of her main head coaches, very, very high on her and for good reason. The girl has, or the woman, has a lot of good grappling things about her, man. She, she's very good in terms of getting this fight to the ground. Does she have the jujitsu of her uh, significant other, Brian Ortega? Probably not, but she does show good things in, in you know, being able to stay out of submissions. Now, she gets put into deep submission attempts, but does you know, keep her wits about her pretty well. Uh, it was the Aaron Blanchfield fight on the regional scene where she found herself in an armbar pretty much the entirety of that fight, but defended very well and was still able to pick up the victory that night. But it does make you wonder, especially with a girl who has a, as active as a guard as Melissa Gato does, you know, she could put herself into some trouble by hanging around in the guard a little bit too much. It, when this fight plays out on the feet, I lean on Gato, man. I think she's just nasty with a striking, very long range that she uses, uh, straight shots down the middle, great kicking game as well and i kind of understand why the line is coming in because i find myself on the melissa gato side man and and i'm a big tracy cortez fan she was my lock of the night play you know the last couple times that she's gone out there and fought uh fought because i feel pretty comfortable playing chalk on a woman with that type of game plan but gato is going to make it very difficult my only concern is the fact that she plays guard a little bit too much i'm still going to take her to win this fight i do think that she gives uh she makes it difficult for cortez to assert that dominant top control uh and then once they get back onto the feet i think gato will land the more impactful strikes which will likely outweigh the grappling success that tracy cortez will likely have so I i'm gonna go gato uh did she finish her I, I'm not sure, man. Cortez is very durable, very tough to put away. Uh, I'm going to go Gato. Uh, 
uh, I'll go Gato via decision plus 325 just by landing the bigger, more significant strikes. Uh, I just, you know, bring your attention to the Rob Font and Chito Verified from this past weekend. They were behind on numbers, but they had the more significant moments in each of those rounds, allowing Chito Vera to get the win. Same thing could happen here with Gato landing the more significant strikes, although giving up some control time to Cortez. I think she'll, uh, she'll be able to rack up enough damage that the judges will likely give the fight to her. So give me Gato. Gato via decision at plus 325. Even Gato by submission at plus 400. Not too bad considering how active she is off of her back and how many times Cortez has found herself in submission attempts from her opponent. So uh, let's go Gato. I think she pulls off the upset here and uh, stops the run of Tracy Cortez. Am I am I, am I I crazy here, Cody, or, or are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, man, I'm seeing what you're seeing. However, this is what I'm also seeing, right? So, man, Tracy Cortez goes out there. She's got the wrestling advantage. She scores the takedown. Gato is just hellacious off her back. She's looking to fish up that Kimura. She used to take out Carl Rosa. She's looking to set up active guard. You can't get any ground and pound off. You can't pass. Where she's very physically strong. You don't want to create too much space by trying to punch her because you create space, she's going to scramble and get back up. You need to hold her down. She's throwing up submissions. She's throwing up short shots. Goes to the scorecards. You think Gato won. I think Gato won. Here's the thing. Chase Cortez from Arizona. The fight Ooh. in Arizona. And she's a <laughs> big angle. fan favorite in Arizona. Her brother was a wrestling champion a while back. Beat Drew Fickett, Arizona's favorite drunken son. And uh, then ended up dying in, like, I believe it was a car accident. But regardless, passed away. She picked up MMA coming out of her own wrestling career because she was like, this is my brother's thing. I'm going to do that. She's lifelong friends of Henry Cejudo. She has some of the best wrestling in the division. The takedowns are going to be there because, again, we did see Gato get taken down relatively easily by Sinjar Eubanks. The difference is Eubanks completely gassed out. I could see Cortez maybe tiring a little bit, but if she doesn't gas out in the same way, if she does make weight, and that's a big thing here, we need to watch weigh-ins. Oh, by the way, uh, they're offering a prop. We're offering a prop on Bet Online that uh, is she even going to make bet. weight? Sorry, cloud, cloud bet. bet. And I think that's a good indication of people that are not even sure if she's going to make weight. Her last fight, she missed weight by half a pound. That means she probably tried everything in her damnest power and couldn't do it. Body's not in good shape. Goes out against Quiche. Flat performance. She comes out on the scales. She makes weight. She looks good. The takedowns are going to be there for her. Now, can she fend off all these submission attempts off her back? Listen, I think so. Her grappling looks pretty good. Uh, she's going to be well prepared for this. Obviously, Santino DeFranco and everybody down at Fight Ready are going to have her prepared for these scrambles that are going to ensue. But again, this is somebody that took down Stephanie Egger and neutralized everything she had. And Egger's high-level judo black belt, very good grappling chops. I believe uh, grappled Gabby Garcia at the ADCCs a while back. Like this, I, I think she's going to be able to stay out of harm's way. So when it comes down to a close grappling match, Wins M women's MMA, 15 minutes, goes to decision, and it's close and it's competitive. Like, who's going to be get the nod? I think it's going to be the girl that's on top, that the fans are going to go nuts every time she gets the takedown or lands a couple small little shots, other than the girl that's throwing up submission times off her back, working her ass off, and maybe not getting the same reaction from the live crowd. So I can see it being close. I can see it being competitive. But whereas you're seeing that as a reason to go Gato, which is not a bad idea, uh, I'm thinking it's going to swing towards... Uh, Tracy Cortez. So I, I, you went got to it by decision. I went Tracy Cortez by decision, which is plus one twenty. I like it, and I'm glad that you brought up the uh, the uh, weight prop here that Cloudbet is offering. You should guys check out Cloudbet. Link in the description below. But right now they're holding. Uh, will Tracy Cortez make weight on the first attempt at the official weigh-ins? No is currently sitting at plus two ten. 
Yes is sitting at minus 265. So if you want to get some uh, action down on that specific prop, make sure you guys go check it out again. Claude Bet, link in the description below. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're looking at Andre Fialo welcoming Cameron Van Camp to the UFC. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 415 on Andre Fialo, fresh off his knockout victory of Miguel Baeza a couple weeks ago. And then the return on Cameron Van Camp is plus 345. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody that, well, maybe there are some people out there, but I can't myself bring myself to bet uh, Andre Fiola at minus 415. The guy still has his flaws. Yes, he goes out there and knocks out Miguel Baeza, which is a great feat, but we know that Miguel Baeza has durability issues. He's been knocked out in uh, you know a handful of fights before that, uh, so that's nothing crazy to, to, to make Andre Fiala a minus 415 favorite. Cameron Van Camp, if you guys remember, he was scheduled to fight uh, Carlos Mota a couple months ago last year. They signed him to come in on short notice. Mota doesn't eventually make it to the scales so that fight gets pushed back ultimately cancelled now van cap finally getting the uh, the fight that he was promised by the ufc here on short notice against fialo Cameron Van Camp, very solid jiu-jitsu player, even though uh, I believe his uh, he has a tattoo that says something like a white belt uh, gang or something like that. Uh, he goes out there and more often than not has uh, a different amount of, uh, or sorry, uh, totally different types of submissions that he's able to get. Just look over his last couple of fights. Dar's choke, arm bar, rear naked choke, guillotine, triangle choke. Like the guy just goes out there and just puts it on his opponents in the grappling room. And Fialo can definitely get, you know, taken down and worked on the ground by a guy like Cameron Van Camp. So rather than taking a side here, I'm actually leaning on the fight doesn't go to decision, which is currently minus 300. I get it. It's shocky. That's why we got parlays, folks. You throw that into a parlay, uh, it can, uh, you know, be the cherry on top of another fight. Maybe even with Clayton Rodriguez or something like that, you'll get slightly better odds there. But uh, yeah, I do like the fight doesn't go to decision here. I can see a finish for both sides, whether it's a Fialo knockout or a potential Cameron Van Camp submission. Fialo is one of those guys that also struggles with his cardio. If you look back on a bunch of his fights on the regional scene, uh, there's one in particular that comes to mind where it looks like he's just ready to completely give up and just fold over i believe yeah it was the antonio dos santos jr fight at lfa 92 back in october of 2020 so it wasn't even that long ago that he uh he's been showing these horrible cardio issues and i'm expecting that to show its ugly head here again which is why i would highly advise not to parlay andre fiel at minus 400 just take the fight doesn't go to decision instead you're getting slightly better odds and you also cover both outcomes of van camp possibly finding a submission or finish of his own we don't have full props out for this yet, but I'd be interested to see what Van Camp via sub looks like because if it's anything better than plus 600 or plus 700, I think it's going to be worth a little bit of a sprinkle considering how uh, efficient and uh, effective he is on the mat once it gets there. I just don't think that Fialo is that great. How do you think about this matchup? Yeah, yeah, I think Fialo goes out there, likely puts him away, but they haven't fully released all the available props. At least I'm not seeing them, and I don't know what the Fialo specifically by knockout is. I'm not even 100%. Oh, they listed as a over and under one and a half. Mm -hmm. and I'm leaning towards the under. I think it's going to be a violent fight. I would prefer just the fight doesn't go the distance, which again, at minus 275, probably more of a parlay piece than something you're able to bet straight up, but I, I don't know. I just, in my mind, I think Fialo is going to ice him. I've not not been a big Andre Fialo guy in the fan, uh, fan in the past. He was with Bellator. It's kind of a flop. Uh, he went over to LFA, big time flop. He's kind of flopped PFL. Just never really found his his gear. Signed to the UFC, and I thought he was going to get absolutely mauled by Michelle Pereira, but 
man, he showed a ton of heart. He's down in Sanford MMA now, and I mean, Henry Hoof is in this guy's head. Third round, he's gassed. He is done. He is probably 1-1 in the scorecards, but his body's shutting down. It's his debut. He took it on short notice. Like, understandable. You're fighting a pretty crazy guy in Michelle Pereira, and he perseveres in the third round, still loses the fight, but damn, I was like, I didn't realize he had that kind of heart, and his chin looked a lot better. I bet him against Bazin. Same thing. This guy's an excellent striker, and he's really starting to mature. He's only 28 years old, and whereas I think he had a lot of early career mishaps, I do feel like he's turning the corner and putting it around. With Van Camp, I mean, not to shit on him too much, but like when you look at a guy for the first time, right? You're like, well, let's let's check out his record. Let's just look at the notable names. Who are the notable names that pop out on this guy's record? Okay, so he turns pro. Tom Shove, he's a bare knuckle boxing standout right now. BKFC. Oh, geez, but he lost that one by knockout. Okay. Oh, Nick Brown. Nick Brown, 13 and 1. Bellator prospect. You know, guys moving into title contention. Oh, geez, but he lost that one too. Okay. All right, well, who else do we recognize here? Oh, Austin Hubbard, UFC veteran, just recently got caught, but uh, still made it to the big show. Uh, but, jeez, uh, Van Camp lost that one. Uh, Thomas Gifford, I don't know how he ever made it to the UFC. He was real bottom <laughs> level, but at least at least he's somewhat notable for some reason, right? Nah, that one's a no contest. <laughs> Bobby Volker. Bobby Volker was 42, I believe, when he fought Van Camp. A shot to bits, but a strike force and UFC veteran. Dude fought Robbie Lawler. Oh, uh, yeah, but he lost that one. His two notable wins, which did come after that. Dan Stitkin, who was 0-2 in the UFC, most known wow. for getting absolutely Ed slapped kick. by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson with that head kick. Never went on to anything beyond that. And he armbarred Craig Eckelberg, who has a little bit of notoriety because remember when CM Punk was getting ready to fight in the UFC? Duke Rufus was like, we've had a closed-off fight for him in the gym to see where he's at. It was Craig Eckelberg. That's the dude that fought CM Punk oh, wow. to gauge where he was at. It, when he fights anybody with a little bit of credibility, someone that's fought on the big show, someone that's shown those skills, that's when he's coming up short. When he fights regional guys from Kentucky, the Midwest, uh, Indiana, where he's from, yeah, those are the guys he's able to beat. And I know show, some of them show nice-looking records, uh, but I, I just don't think there's that much there. His wrestling on tape looks good. I just don't know how it translates versus someone who also knows how to wrestle. You know, submission game doesn't look that bad. He's tenacious. He sticks at it. But he's been off a year. He's now making his UFC debut. He's taking on a guy that's got two solid fights in the UFC at this point, trains at one of the best camps in the world. And prior to even going to Sanford, he was at American Kickboxing Academy for a long time. Like He's well-trained. He's just finally hitting his stride. He's finally got his confidence up. He's coming off a nasty win. It's just not a good time to take him on. So the minus 410 price tag doesn't look good, that good. My book's showing minus 420, which sounds a lot better, but it's even worse. Uh, I think you would try to chase him by knockout, if anything. But if you want to be safe... I think the fight doesn't go the distance. Like if Fialo stands up to him, and Fialo's the one that's taking on short notice, right? Because he fought three weeks ago. Both so. of them. Because yeah. the time wasn't scheduled either. Yeah, so I mean, like it, it, that all becomes a little bit greasy, a little bit red flag, and whereas it makes it harder to go definitively on one side, it does make you feel better about that fight doesn't go the distance. Someone's probably getting uh, taken out in this one. I like it. I like it. Yeah. It, very tough to, to pick a side here, but I'm glad that we both agree on violence. And again, Cody, you're, you're one of those guys that likes the overs. So when I, whenever you see that uh, yeah. about a decision possibility, I know we got a good one on our hands. And even at minus 300, chuck that shit into a parlay. Uh, solid leg there, in my opinion. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're currently looking at uh, Blagoy Ivanov coming back after in uh, a very long layoff here. I believe the last time we saw him in the cage was, uh, yeah, May of 2020. So pretty much the same month that the UFC returned from the COVID issue uh, is the last time that we saw Blagoy Ivanov in the cage. Uh, he's coming in as a slight favorite here against uh, Rodrigo de Lima. 
Uh, I can't see. Oh, there it is. Uh, minus 140 on Ivanov, plus 120 the return on Hajerio de Lima. Very interesting matchup here. So Ivanov, very tough guy to put away, uh, very durable. Uh, and that's something that uh, Marcos uh, Hajerio de Lima has kind of been leaning on in terms of getting his guys out of there pretty quickly over the last couple of fights. Last time around, we obviously saw him quickly dispatch of uh, Ben Rothwell, who now signed with uh, uh, BKFC, if I'm not mistaken. I can't wait to see how that experiment goes, by the way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, before that, you know, uh, he did take Maurice Green the full 15 minutes. I believe that's when he was pretty much just grappling him the entire time. But before that, knocks out Ben Sassoli, uh, takes Adam Wizard check to a decision as well. Before that, knocking out Jeremy Kimball. But sandwiched in between those are all these submission losses. Von Flu choke by Oben St. Prue. Arm triangle choke by 2019 version of Stefan Struve. Uh, and then obviously Alexander Romanov getting him out of there with the patented forearm choke. Something that I never thought we'd see in a UFC fight. But here we are. So, Hajerio Delima, solid striker, big power, good leg kicks, uh, solid jujitsu from an offensive standpoint. But from a defensive standpoint, it really goes to shit, especially when he starts to huff and puff, which I think is something that's going to happen here with Bloy Goy, even of taking straight shots from uh, Delima, being able to withstand those shots, come forward, land his own big shots, and then really start to wear on Delima, possibly putting him away later in this fight. But a lot of fights for Blagoy, even of have hit the scorecards, right? Uh, I believe the last time he's actually got or a fight of his has finished inside the distance was pre-UFC. Was way back in 2017 where he knocked out Sean Jordan a minute 43 seconds into the first round. Uh, but even if you go back even further into his career, he was more so of a finisher than a decision guy. Right, it's almost like he took the Andre Arlovsky route of things, where Arlovsky was finishing dudes later, earlier in his career, and now later in his career he's content with going the full 15 or 25 minutes. So be it. But uh, I like I like Blagoy here. You know, I think he's the better fighter. His durability should hold up. He should be able to put together the better strikes. He should maybe be able to work his uh, cage clinch as well, be successful there, maybe land a couple takedowns of his own. But I think at a certain point when DeLima starts to realize that he's not going to win this fight, he's going to start to look for a way out. And that's where I think that Blagoy could implement some sort of, you know, either a TKO or a submission of his own to get the win. So uh, round props on Blagoy. Uh, round three, Blagoy is currently plus 1,000. I don't mind that. Uh, even even off inside the distance at plus 175, I wouldn't mind that line either. Um, I know you got a very intriguing prop for this one, so I'm not going to steal it from you. I'll let you break it down yourself and then share it with the folks here. But I'll go even off, even off late finish. What about yourself? Yeah, I didn't mind even off inside the distance plus 175, but then I got greedy. And I thought to myself, oh, man, you know what? If we're going to go, let's go all the way, even off by submission. Now, he hasn't submitted anybody since... He snatched up like a, I think it was an Americana or a key lock like way back in the day, Bellator days. So yeah, definitely been a while, but it's not what he brings to the table in terms of grappling. It's the fact that he's taking on Rogerio de Lima, the biggest gas bag in the game. He needs to knock you out quick or he completely gasses out. And his type of gas out is he quits. The guy is a quitter. So just keep in mind, okay, these are his losses. Alexander Romanov, his last time out, my first round submission. Well, Lima's a black belt, just for the record. But he got caught with a forearm choke in the first round. God, you'd really be tough to go back and find out the last time someone got fucking forearm choked in the UFC, man. Because it would be probably about 1996, maybe 1997. This shit doesn't happen. Especially to a black belt. Strange. And he got submitted by Stefan Struve, right? Second round. You got uh, UFC stats in front of you? Fight metric or anything like that? Yep, yep. Okay, okay. You got Delima stats up? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. You see that fight right there? Uh, which fight was that, sorry? Him versus Stefan Struve. 
Yes. Yeah. How many strikes did Stefan Struve land in that fight? <laughs> a that grand fight. total of zero significant strikes but two total strikes right right zero significant strikes landed and the fight was seven and a half minutes long now if you click on it you see delima drops him in the first round and he lands 25 significant strikes in the first round in the second round nobody even lands anything nobody lands anything you know why the dude is so huff puff tired after one single round of beating on seven foot tall Stefan struve on the ground that he just rolls over and quits and gives him an arm triangle choke. Unbelievable. This Ovin St. Prue choke. You got caught by Yvonne Prue. Like, you're a BJJ black belt. But he's tired. And when he's tired, he quits. Gazmarad Antigulov with a guillotine choke. Antigulov had zero success in the UFC. Why are you getting caught in the guillotine choke? He wasn't tired in that fight. It was pretty early. But all the same, it's just another act of bum stuff. Krylov. Krylov hadn't really been shown to have any type of real significant ground game, I don't think. Uh, Krylov is also a light heavyweight, and really not even that big of a light heavyweight as far as I'm concerned, and yet uh, he chokes him out in the first round. Remember that time he was on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil when he lost to Antonio Carlos Jr., who currently fights at, what, 185 pounds? 100, so now he's 205 in PFL, but had made 185. Oh, yeah, no, he got choked out in that one too. He just quits and gives up the submission. That's what he does. So it's not even that, like Ivanov's such a great submission guy. Is that if Ivanov just takes him down, ends up in side control, softens him up with some light ground and pound. He's just going to give up something. And it could be something cheeky like a key lock. It could be another arm triangle choke. It could be a guillotine. He's just going to give him something because he's going to realize, I don't really want to be there. Now, there's two exceptions to the dilemma rule because the rule is he either knocks you out in empathetic fashion really early or he quits and you submit him. That's the rule. There are two exceptions to that rule. When you look at both of those fights, which is Adam Rizorek and the Maurice Green fight, right? They're anomalies because he actually beat guys by decision. But in the Maurice Green fight, he landed 14 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. In the Adam Mazorek fight, which is the other decision that he has on his record, he landed 28 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. The, no ground and pound, no volume, because he's tired of tiring himself. He knows he's got no cardio. He knows he can't throw strikes. He needs to just count on knocking you out quick. And that becomes a problem with Blagoy Ivanov because the dude's as cast iron as cast iron gets. The dude fought Derek Lewis, live to tell the tale. The dude fought Tai Tuivasa, live to tell the tale. Junior DeSantos, back when Junior DeSantos was still a badass, he got stabbed in the heart in a Bulgarian nightclub, spent a month in a coma, still come out of it. The guy's fucking Boris the Blade from the movie Snatch, okay? You just can't kill him. And I think that's going to be a problem with Delima. He's probably going to slug away at him. And when that early finish doesn't materialize, he'll tire out. Blagoy's going to trip him to the ground, get on top of him. When you've got a dude that's 250, 260 on you, it's suffocating. You're tired. You want a way out. He's going to roll over and give him up something. And at plus 500, I'm willing to take a shot on that. So the inside the distance at plus 175 makes a lot of sense because you got Mark Smith, who's just so antsy in the pantsy to stop everything that he might just wave it off due to a couple light ground and pound shots. But uh, but that covers you the inside of the distance, plus 175. But I'm thinking Delima doesn't get knocked out. Delima gives up submissions. That's that's his path of losing. And I think that's the path he's going to walk again here on Saturday. So sign me up for that decision or by that uh, submission prop at plus 500. The last time that Belgoy Ivanov got a submission victory was actually Smilino Rama. Remember that name? Yeah, he was supposed to be the Canadian goat, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Never did he did have like a bunch of like gang affiliated shit that kept him like, from fighting anywhere else in the world? Yeah, it was something. Not honestly, like he had the well, no, he got head kicked by Anthony Hamilton, the MFC, and right then I was like, mm, mm, 
I don't know if this guy's going to pan out. And then he dropped down to 205, which I thought was badass, but never quite made it. He, he's a BJJ black belt and decent grappler, but he got super gassed out and gave up a front choke, right? Similar to De Lima, and just get gassed out and give up something cheeky. The key lock, again, it's against LeVar Johnson, who was a Strikeforce heavyweight, was a UFC heavyweight. Another guy that got shot and survived? Like, goddamn. Uh, I think he's in jail now. I don't want to talk about that part of it. But uh, I, I, I think his submission is not that bad. This is where people will often think, oh, this guy's a bad grappler, right? Well, Augusto Sakai, geez, he's a pretty good grappler. You know, Derek Lewis, not a good grappler, but not really getting submitted outside of Daniel Cormier. Like, he just powers his way back up. Ty, Ben Rothwell, Jr., you know what all those guys got in common? They're all top five in the world, or yeah. they were top ten in the world, former champion, Jr.'s case. Uh, that's this top-level talent. You're maybe not going to submit top-level talent. Marcos Rogério de Lima represents the worst guy that Blagoy Ivanov has ever fought in the UFC, hands down. By landslide, Junior, former champion, Ben Rothwell, former title contender, Tai Tuivasa, future star, on his way up, Derek Lewis, title challenger, Augusto Sakai, I don't care for him, but really not all that bad, you think about it. Those guys are those guys are considered good. I don't put Rogerio de Lima in that category. So I mean they're gonna lose a pile of money, or I'm gonna say I told you so. Gonna feel good or gonna feel bad, but uh, that's gambling, right? You gotta risk it sometimes. Exactly. You gotta risk it to get the biscuit. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. This one should be a great scrap. Uh a flyweight belt. We got Brandon Royval going up against Matt Schnell, minus two thirty-five on Brandon Royval, plus two hundred the return on Matt Schnell. Now Matt Schnell, like Holy moly, what kind of ride this guy's been on over the last two years or so, a year or so. Uh, scheduled to fight Alex Perez four times. First time Perez pulls out. Second time the bout gets rescheduled. Third time uh, Schnell apparently pukes after he weighs in, pukes behind the uh, the, the the stage there, and they force him to, to get out of that fight. And then the next time Alex Perez misses weight by, I think it was like a pound or a pound and a half or something like that. And the match was like, nah. Not taking a fight. I'm good. You know, don't need to make a living. Don't need to make it any uh, easier for the UFC. Not taking this fight. So now here he is, and the UFC is like, you know what? Let's give you raw dog. Let's try to see if you can go out there and be one of the best 125ers in the world, and then we'll start to take you seriously again. This fight should be bananas, right? I think both guys have that style to make it a very chaotic fight. Brandon Royval thrives in that chaos, and I think he's going to be able to thrive here as well. Match now is probably the better technical striker here, but that doesn't matter if you're Brandon Royval. I mean, he doesn't mind taking one, two on the chin just so that he can, you know, Imanari roll his way into a, a grappling situation so that he can eventually take your back and choke you out. He's a very fun fighter to watch. Match now has the finesse here, but uh, um, Brandon Royval has the chaotic nature. That's going to make it very difficult for Chanel's finesse to actually win this fight. So I, I do lean on the Royval side. It's always tricky playing chalk on Royval at minus two thirty, minus two forty, considering how unorthodox he fights and how you know close the margin of victory is for him at times. But he still should be able to get it done, and I actually do think he gets it done inside the distance as well. So the under two and a half is not a bad look at minus 145, as that does potentially cover a match now finish as well. But I do ultimately think it's going to be Roy Val who gets his hand raised here. And for him to get it done inside the distance, we're looking at even money. So I'd rather take the even money than the minus 235 on Roy Val. But I still think he goes out there and beats a guy in match now who, you know, a decent fighter will probably beat top 15 fringe guys. But that's it. I don't think he gets past Roy Valk here. Uh, am I off here? How do you think about, what do you think about this flyweight fight? 
No, man, 100%. 100%, I agree. Uh, the interesting thing is that he, when he fought Rogerio Bontarin, Matt Schnell, in his last fight, Bontarin missed weight. Came in at 137 pounds. He yeah. took the fight. Took the fight, and it was at bantamweight. Right? So yeah. you bought a dude that weighed 137. Now he's back down to flyweight. The dude misses weight. Okay, you're used to No, 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 no. It's like, come on, man. He just fought a dude who was 137, and I think they said he weighed in on fight night like 161 pounds or something. Like, that's, that's sickening. But Bontarin's a big old boy. Um, Schnell doesn't want to go down that path again. I get it, but he's kind of outgrown flyweight a little bit himself. I didn't honestly hear about the him throwing up story. I heard it was an irregular heartbeat. Like they checked his heart afterwards and it was just through the roof. And they're like, no, no. His whole thing was come back to me in an hour and check it. I'll be fine. But I just made weight. My body's like dying right now. Regardless, there's, there's all a, that. Sorry, th th there's a clip that I put out on the weigh-in day of uh, I was watching the live weigh-ins, and you see a guy, uh, one of the UFC staff, run from behind the the stage right after Schnell weighs in, run from behind the stage, grab a a, a garbage bin, and bring it back over there. So like right. I, that's what a lot of people were assuming was happening back there. You know what? It could entirely be. My only thing is, is if you're that dehydrated, what you'd be dry heaving. There'd be a lot of like. Mm -hmm. But there'd be nothing coming out. It's like when you're mm. drunk and you're throwing up. Like the first three or four, you're like, I don't know, I have that much in me. The last six, you're like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, let's just get on with our business. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Regardless of what it was, he's 32 years old now. He has fought a band weight in the past. And I honestly just feel like it was probably a tough enough weight cut that his body somehow didn't react in the proper way. Now you are got to do it again. All this is not going to be great the other problem is is that there was he had a reputation as being chinny right so rob font just stiffs him out really fast which rob font is an elite level striker but when you consider that rob font couldn't knock out cody garbrandt in 25 minutes when you consider that rob font has landed the best punch in his arsenal 35 times over clean on the chin and guys have been able to take it badasses like cheeto vera badasses like jose aldo uh, well, I think Rob Font's an elite level striker. I don't know he's the biggest power guy, but regardless, first one that dings Schnell clean, he gets knocked out. That Hector Sandoval fight was way more concerning because he got clipped somewhat with a half-hearted right hand, and he's out again. The Alexander Pantoja fight, you give him a pass because Pantoja's a badass, but the fight's at 125 pounds, and of course, overhand right knocks him out. Even on the regional scene, you know, he had a couple, couple bad spots where he'd get wobbled, where he'd get... It's a disqualification win, but this... uh. Where's his DQ win? He has a disqualification win over Jonathan Martinez. When Jonathan Martinez completely obliterates him in the face with a, with a knee, gets himself disqualified, but it knocks him out. I, I don't think his chin's great. I don't think his chin's great at 125 pounds. It's possible at 135, not that bad of a weight cut. You can maybe roll with the punches a little bit better. But I think coming back down to 125 and taking on somebody who's I wouldn't say a clean striker or a big power guy, but he's reckless. He's reckless and he's wild. And I think at some point, something will clip Schnell. The grappling's, I would say Roy Val has the advantage, but Schnell's an excellent grappler in his own right. Might be good enough to just defend and keep things uh, neutralized, but the ground and pound will wear up. Something's going to clip him either on the feet or on the ground. And I think that's going to rock him and, and get to him. And finally, you mentioned with Chanel, he's one of these guys that might be able to hang out, you know, fringe top 15 guy. And I, I do agree largely for the most part. But his wins in the UFC, Marco Beltran cut, Naoki Inoue cut, Louis Smolka, don't know where he's at. But after that last fight, I, I would lean towards he could get cut. Jordan Espinosa is cut. Tyson Nam, I don't know what the hell Tyson Nam's up to, but he should probably be cut. You you called that one. You took Chanel, I took Nam. And you were like, well, Nam just doesn't throw any punches. So it's possible that Chanel just outpoints him. Well, oh, maybe, but I think Nam's got power. I'll knock him out. Nothing happened. Nam just stood there, 
stared, didn't let his hands go. Schnell outpointed him. He could win that kind of fight. Brandon Royval, I can almost guarantee you he's not going to stand and stare because he's reckless, man. The guy just brings the fight. So this screams inside the distance. I think that's probably your best bet here is Royval either takes him out or dies trying. The fight doesn't go the distance is minus 190. The under two and a half is minus 150. Again, either Roy Val is going to clip him and knock him out, or Roy Val is going to separate his own shoulder and die trying the way he did against Brandon Moreno. You know what I mean? I, I could see it being an inside the distance kind of thing, but I've got Roy Val. And then more tempting to me is that Roy Val by knockout at plus 400. I like it. I like it. I like it. It should be chaos both ways. Hopefully it does transpire in a finish. And I'll say this about the Schnell and Nam fight. They were scheduled twice. The first time I did pick Schnell and I did give you that breakdown that you kind of just gave us as well. And then for some reason when they were booked again, I fully switched. I even ended up betting the Nam VKO and I was completely pissed off at myself for making that full 180 for some goddamn reason. But uh, we live and we learned. I, I I remember I took uh, Kaikara France over Brandon Royval, right? Because I'm like, ah, the kid's too reckless. And Kaikara France is a legitimately good striker. And he got dropped twice by Royval. Like, the kid just throws shit. And he's a dangerous type of fight. Kaikara France is the kind of guy that can fight his way back into it. I don't see Matt Chanel taking those punches the same way. And when you talk about the fact that he's got two knockdowns, two clean knockdowns over an elite-level guy... I think the opportunity presents itself against Chanel, and it's not a bad price tag at plus 400. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's move on to this next fight here. We have a women's featherweight fight between Macy Kiasson and Norma Dumont. In terms of odds, we're looking at chalk here on Dumont at minus 220, plus 185. The return on Macy Kiasson. Remember the days when Macy Kiasson was chalk? Mm. Minus 500s day in and day out, matchup after matchup. Now the word is finally out that she's probably not that good. She, a lot of it was her relying on her physicality, being the bigger woman at 135 pounds and dummying a lot of these girls to the ground, similar to what she was able to do against Shanna Young. But now girls like Rocky Pennington are able to figure her out. And I feel like a girl like Norma Dumont will be able to figure her out uh, as well. Um, you know, Dumont has had her own issues making weight at 135 pounds, which is why she's taken most of her fights recently at 145 pounds. Uh, and I, I believe the one most recently was the uh, the short Norris main event fight against Aspen Ladd, where she landed 65 significant strikes over 25 minutes, uh, even got seven minutes of control time where she was able to get uh, a couple reversals on Aspen Ladd uh, and, uh, you know, a pretty unactive, uh, you know, not that entertaining of a fight, especially with Aspen not looking like she was stuck in mud for the majority of that fight. Uh, before that, she goes out there and beats Felicia Spencer, beating her up on the feet, uh, you know, again, 68 to 47 in terms of significant strikes. And then the fight before that, where she missed weight against Ashley Evan Smith, completely butchers her, butchers her on the feet, uh, doubling her up on strikes that night. Macy Kiasson, on the other hand, uh, coming off that rough loss to Rocky Pennington, she had a decent first round, but then she ended up giving up a guillotine choke to, to Pennington in round two, ending up tapping there. Her wins are coming over women like Marion Renault, who's like 47 years old at this point in time, and Shanna Young, who really didn't, you know, who, who really should have never been at 135 pounds to begin with. Uh, Kiasson was able to ragdoll her three takedowns and pretty much controlling her for the majority of that fight, uh, eight and a half minutes to be exact. But she uh, she pretty much bullied her for the majority of that fight. 
but when you see her going up against, you know, somewhat experienced fighters, you know, women that have solid gas tanks uh, that can match her physicality, that's where Macy Kiasan comes up short. And that's what she's facing here in uh, in Norma Dumont. Dumont's, Dumont's a solid striker. I think she's the better striker of the two. And if Kiasan wants to try to bully her or ragdoll her, she's going to struggle to do so. Dumont's very difficult to take down, and she's going to be even harder to hold down as well. So I do lean the Dumont side. Um, I, is the line a little wide? Maybe, but I do think she is deserving of that line. She should go out there and, and get the win. I think she just touches up Kiasong for the majority of 15 minutes and takes home a decision victory. So even fight goes to decision hanging around minus 200. I don't mind that, but uh, the specific prop here, Dumont via, via decision at plus 100, I don't mind that either. So uh, yeah, give me Dumont, Dumont via decision. Cody, I'm going to hand it off to you here for a second. I'm going to run and uh, drain the main vein because I can't hold it any longer. And then I'll come right back. All right. Yeah, yeah, fair. So we got some middling women's MMA. I don't know how much investment you want on this particular fight. There's 15 fights. If you're parlaying, I don't think this you'd need it as a parlay piece. So where do we feel the safest about it? Listen, I think it's easy to say that Norma Dumont probably wins the fight. Big Norm's got the more technical boxing, I guess. I think she can work behind her jab. Like Manpreet said, she's going to have the takedown defense. She'd probably even take that Mesa Chase on a couple times if she'd like to. All that's interesting to me. I got this bad gut feeling that if it goes the other way, what does Macy Chason bring to the table? So Macy Chason's, I wouldn't say I, she's not the better striker, but she may have the more volume. Again, you look at her in the Shayna Young fight, she puts up 86. Her versus Marion Renault, a little bit of grappling in that one. She still lands the 51. I'm a little bit gun shy and back in Dumont because, again, you saw her fought Aspen Ladd for 25 minutes and land 65 significant strikes. It's a little bit low to me. Um, of course, she did throw up decent numbers in the Ashley Evans-Smith fight, but I just got a bad gut feeling that you've got two strikers. They're largely going to strike. It's going to probably play out closer to a kickboxing match, a sparring session, and then it comes down to what are the judges looking at. The Aspen-Ladd fight was clearly Norma Dumont's, but Ladd did absolutely nothing. She just stared at her. Had Ladd done a little bit more, that fight would have been a little more competitive. All Chase on does is have to do a little bit more. You don't have to necessarily be the better fighter. He just got to get that work rate up and going. So she did have a decent first round against Pennington her last time out, but for ultimately just completely falling apart. I think she's young enough that she could make some improvements. I believe she's still at four to seven May. Great camp to make said improvements. And then coming up to 145 pounds, so she had won the ultimate fighter at 145. I don't necessarily think it's the best weight class for her. Like maybe she's better suited at 35, but she's tall for this division. She's big for this division. And I think that maybe not having to cut the extra weight fill out your frame, you were going to see her come out with more energy, a little more vitalized. And if she's able to do that and put it together, then I think I think she can make it competitive. If this fight's competitive and it goes to decision and ends being a greasy split, you don't want to be holding those Norma Dumont tickets. It's just too close. So I almost kind of want to, and I want to argue this with my boy Manpreet, but he's gone. But this is what's interesting to me here, right? Is that if you look at, if you look at Norma Dumont, right? She is five foot seven with a 67 inch reach. Okay, really not all that big, especially for 145. Her fight with Aspen Ladd, Aspen Ladd, my baby, is five foot six with a 66 inch reach. Aspen Ladd, you know, tight ass on her like you wouldn't believe, but but eh, not more stocky, more stocky. Macy Chason's 5'11 with a 72 inch reach, right? She's very tall, she's very long. She's this is the big cage in Arizona, it's not the apex. You're not going to have to, you know, corner somebody that easily. She stays long, stays to the outside. She can actually just beat Dumont to the punch enough to make it close and competitive, squeeze this thing on the scorecard. So 
I'm almost tempted to try that Macy Chase on by decision, but the but wow. the smarter side of me says that it's uh it's gonna go to the decision either way. If Chase on's able to just put up the volume, keep the fight standing, and just out volume her to a greasy decision, then whatever. We're gonna hit this fight goes the distance prop. And if Norma Dumont just outboxes her, you know, lands the better punch output, you know, not output necessarily, but just the better punch selection and gets the decision, and then it's going to decision. Minus two twenty fight goes the distance, doesn't look great. But again, I think it covers you on both sides. I like it. Kiasson, uh, but also going uh, via decision. That's pretty, pretty much how I see it going as well. And one thing that kind of caught me off guard at first was I thought it was a 135-pound fight, but both these women going back up to 145 pounds. Interested to see how that plays out, especially considering there's not much of a, dis de uh, a division there either, right? Like, it's just... Pena, well, not even Pena. Interesting and interesting, and this this counts for nothing, by the way. But I just, I just, you know, how my brain operates. But you've got Norman Dumont's last fights against five foot six Aspen Lad, right? The fight mm -hmm. before that is against five foot six Felicia Spencer. The fight before that against five foot eight Ashley Evan Smith, and then when she took on old six foot Megan Anderson, <laughs> one in it, you know, she was much smaller. Uh, Chase is not Megan Anderson. Don't get me wrong, but. At 5'11", she's got a 6-inch reach advantage over her. She's got a 6-inch, sorry, a 5-inch height advantage over her. Yeah, I think I think it could be a greasy kickboxing match. And if it is, I wouldn't want to be holding that big chalk on uh, the other side of things. So either just hit a pass or bet the fight goes the distance. I think safest way. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a welterweight fight between Dinosaur Francisco Trinaldo coming in at 43 years old. He'll be 44 in uh, in August, I believe it is. Going up against Danny Roberts, and this is pretty much a pick em fight. Uh, a little bit of money coming in on, uh, I believe it's on the Danny Roberts side. Uh, yeah, I see minus 120 at a couple of spots uh, for Trinaldo and for Roberts. So uh, let's just call it a pick em fight. Very intriguing fight here. Obviously, Roberts coming off that uh, split decision victory over... Uh, uh, Ramazan Emiv, a fight that I thought Emiv absolutely deserved. You know, in terms of numbers, you got Emiv outstriking him 40 to 34, also letting two takedowns and also accruing, you know, three close to three minutes of control time in that fight. And then obviously on the flip side for Francisco Trinaldo, uh, he's coming off a victory over Dwight Grant, uh, a split decision victory, very low level or sorry, a uh, low output fight that time around. Before that, he got beat to the punch by Muslim Salikov over and over again, losing that fight view decision. But even the fight before that, going up against Jaya Herbert, which, you know, could have um, a decent indication of how this fight's going to go, right? Jaya Herbert, Danny Roberts, both much better strikers, technically speaking, than Francisco Trinaldo. Younger guys, more explosive, faster. We'll get to the punch a lot quicker, but it's that knockout power that Trinaldo can still manage to muster up. And me and you know this, Cody, power is usually the last thing to go in a lot of fighters, which is why Trinaldo could still be successful uh, against these level of guys who might be the better fighter overall, but at their questionable durability will continue to come back and bite them in the ass. And that's what I think could happen here as well. The two props that I'm looking at the most here would be either uh, Trinaldo by KO, which is hanging around anywhere between plus 450 to plus 525. I don't think that's a bad spot at all. Or Daniel Roberts by decision at plus 185, as he will likely put together a, a much better overall game, right? Maybe mix in a couple of takedowns, maybe uh, get the numbers out there, high output. Uh, that's, that's pretty much the the calling card to beat a guy like Trinaldo, just be more active, right? It's not, a, uh, Trinaldo is really not that active of a striker. Uh, let's just look over his last five fights, uh, going from most recent 
36 strikes against Dwight Grant, 39 strikes against Muslim Salikov, 30 strikes against Jaya Herbert, knocks him out, 55 strikes against John McDessie, beats him but was outstruck in that fight. Um, uh, the uh, Bobby Green fight, 31 strikes. Like he just does not throw enough, but still manages to to land good enough strikes that probably the judges will favor a little bit more than the output. But I do think that we'll get more output here from Danny Roberts, and it'll look a lot more significant than what other opponents have been able to put on uh, Trinaldo. It's just that chin and that durability. I can't, I, I can't get behind whatsoever. If Roberts had more reliable durability, he'd likely be a minus two hundred favorite in this spot. But the fact that he could potentially get chin-checked here and get put out, that's why this fight is a pick em line. I would rather take the plus 500-ish on Trinaldo KO than his money line because you're getting much more value out of that. Uh, but I do like uh, Roberts to win this fight. I do think he just touches him up from the outside, stays away from the big power. He's the faster fighter. As long as he can nullify the amount of damage that he's, he takes here, he should be able to remain conscious and uh, win a decision in this spot. So give me Roberts. Roberts by decision at plus 185 maybe a little hedge on Trinaldo uh, plus 500 KO. Outside of that, I don't want much to do with this fight. How about yourself? Yeah, I went with the Robert side by decision, plus 185. I thought it looked pretty good to me. The thing with Francisco Trinaldo is, yeah, 43, yeah, a little bit older. Is that you got to look at realistically. So he knocks out Jay Herbert, which you said could be a similar matchup, and I do agree with that. But he probably loses the first two rounds against Herbert, definitely the first round. But he's yeah. getting beat to the punch. He's a faster, younger more agile striker, and then he conks him in the third round and gets the win. So on paper, it looks good. In reality, not the greatest. Here's the key here. Jay Herbert weighed in at 155 pounds. Trinaldo weighed in at 160 pounds. Fucking guy missed weight by four pounds, came in at 160. So they were like, okay, you just knocked him, which is cool, but you got to go up to 170 now. And now he looks like shit. He looked awful against Muslim Salikov. He just stood there, threw no uh, punches, like you said, and lost the decision. And against Dwight Grant, uh, I didn't think it should have been a split. I, th I thought Trinaldo should have won unanimous. But like, it wasn't pretty, man. It was very low output, and he kind of holds him up against the cage. And Meave is a master of low output holding you up against the cage. So, yes, Danny Roberts just struggled with his exact same style. The difference there is that Meave has fought at 185 pounds and is a large guy, and Trinaldo, even though he's thick and he's muscular, he is a career 55er that now at age 43 – can't make the weight cuts anymore, so they've forced him up to 170. I think Danny Roberts is able to separate when he needs to, and again, it's going to come back to what are the judges watching. When they see three minutes of the open field, Danny Roberts landing leg kicks, landing his jab, beating him with the punch, and two minutes of Trinaldo grinding him up against the cage, searching for takedowns, maybe getting them, maybe not getting them, but nothing really happening, just grinding in control, will they not go with the strikes landed? Will they not go with the damage sustained? I think that goes towards Danny Roberts. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning towards Roberts. Everything you said, just being a little bit faster, a little bit sharper, a little bit crisper. He should have the output. He should just be the better striker. And when he does get grinded up against the cage, I, you know, I think he should be able to have more success against a natural 55er than a guy, guy like Ramazan Amin, who really is a human blanket. Trinaldo's provided us so many great memories, absolutely. But he's got the win over Jay Herbert by knockout. And then you'd have to go all the way back to 2018 when he beat uh, Evan Dunham. Uh, for by a TKO knee to the body, right? Uh, those like, does he have the power to just go out and take advantage of Danny Roberts' suspect chin? It's MMA, of course he could, but I'm not seeing it. And then flip side to that, right? You did see Francisco Trinaldo get rocked by Sa Muslim Solikov. He got rocked by Jay Herbert. He got rocked in a couple of these fights, to be honest with you. But I've been pretty fast on the dude's been fighting professionally for 16 years, 35 pro fights. 
large majority of them in the UFC. Never been knocked out. <laughs> so that's why you end up on that decision prop for Danny Roberts, right? Like, could he be the first guy to do it while well, everybody has that first time come eventually? At 43 is now the chance? Maybe. But Master and Duba's uh, durability has proven to be pretty legendary over the years. So I'm willing to roll it one more time. I figure if Roberts wins, it'll be uh, by judge's scorecard. Love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the prelim headliner here. A banger of a fight that we have that I can't wait to get Cody's thoughts on. Uh, we got Randy Rude Boy Brown going up against Chaos Williams. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus two. Uh, oh, sorry. Minus 125 now for uh, Chaos Williams, plus 105 the return on Randy Brown. Now, uh, Chaos Williams was hanging around minus 130-ish uh, for the majority of this, uh, you know, majority of fight week, but a little bit of love coming in on Randy Brown. And I wouldn't even be surprised if this actually ends up as a pick em fight come fight time. Now, Chaos Williams, uh, in his last fight, he goes out there and knocks out Miguel Baeza in the third round of a pretty close fight. Um, you know, a lot of people were hoping that Miguel Baeza would take a grapple-heavy approach. Unfortunately, he was not successful in getting any takedowns there. He only went for two takedowns in that entire fight. Uh, and then obviously pays for it in the third round by getting knocked out. Before that, uh, Chaos Williams goes out there and, you know, pitches a pretty damn good 15-minute uh, performance against Matthew Semmelsberger, really proving me wrong in terms of uh, thinking that Chaos Williams was pretty much just a, a knockout or a bust kind of fighter. He's very much rounding out his game uh, well here and, and becoming an all-around great fighter. Randy Brown, on the other hand, very solid fighter in his own right, two-fight winning streak. Started off with that beautiful one-arm rear naked choke over Alex Cowboy Oliveira way back at UFC 261. He followed that up with a 15-minute performance where he landed 115 significant strikes against Jared Gordon, beating him via decision. Now, I lean with the underdog here uh, with Randy Brown, uh, believing he should be able to put together a much better uh you know, piece of work over 15 minutes than what Chaos Williams will be able to do here. Mix the footwork with the, uh, I, I believe he's going to have a decent size advantage here. Let me just get the actual statistics here. Um, we got six foot three for Randy Brown, six foot for Chaos Williams, 78 inch reach for uh, Randy Brown, as well as, uh, as a 77 inch reach for Chaos Williams. So three inch height advantage, a lot of that in the legs. You know, Randy Brown is a very lengthy guy with his legs and he uses his kicks very well to maintain his distance. I think that's what he's going to do effectively here against Chaos Williams. And as long as he doesn't get his put, uh, lights put out, he should be able to cruise to a, a a decision victory here. I like Randy Brown a decent bit here. I actually think he should be the favorite as well um, as Chaos Williams has a little bit more to prove against legitimate competition. You know, knocking out Miguel Baez in the, in the third round of a fight, not that impressive, especially after considering, uh, you know, how uh, how poor the durability of Baeza has been over the last couple of fights. Um, but if he can do that here against Randy Brown, beat him clean and clear over 15 minutes, he'll get my respect. I just don't see that happening. I'm going Randy Brown via decision, which currently sits at plus 285. He's normally a finisher, but I think it's going to be very difficult for him to go balls to the wall here against a guy who has nuclear power like Chaos Williams. Give me Brown, Brown via decision. What about yourself, Cody? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to bet against Chaos Williams because he definitely carries a lot of power. Is it as legendary as it looked in his first two fights? Yeah, maybe not. Like, we got to taper off expectations, but he's got really fast hands, man. Packs a decent punch. And I'll give him one thing. He's far exceeded all my expectations. He was coming into the UFC. I think he had done a little bit of jail time for, like, cocaine charges. Uh, you know, local Michigan fighter. Don't think he's got a huge ceiling. And again, this guy is obviously training hard. He shows up in shape, and he's been putting together some solid victories. 
Two things that I'll point out that I, I got to give him credit for is this Matthew Semmelsberger fight, right? Williams throws 260 significant strikes. Lands 91, which is incredible, which is very impressive, but he throws 260. Landed uh, all pretty much all at distance, but lands 29 leg kicks, chops up the lead leg, throws, 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 but he lands at 35% of his strike, so he misses a ton. But I'll give him one thing, he just keeps going. The Beza fight, it's pretty much the same thing. He lands 49 of 131 significant strikes. He's only 37%. His percentages are low, but the guy just keeps throwing the whole way through. So when you rewatch the Semmelsberger fight, he's definitely outlanding him. He outlands him in every round. He's got the output there. But the better shots seem to be being landed by Semmelsberger, who, again, is a big, tall guy. And I think that's causing him problems, and he's missing a lot. When you look at Beza, Beza's got like a 70, I think he's got a long-ass reach on him, Miguel Beza does. Is it 77? 74. Maybe not that long. 74-inch reach, maybe he has a little bit of trouble with it. And I think about this fight in particular, it's like, okay, Williams misses a lot, but he's got great output. But he's taking on a guy with 78-inch reach in Randy Brown, six foot three. If this was the apex, I think you can come to the conclusion that Chaos Williams is live. In the big octagon, makes it interesting because Brown is does an excellent job of staying to the outside, using his jab, staying long, and also putting up output. So I think he might just be able to output Chaos Williams from the outside, put it up. But and, 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 you know, spoiler alert, I'd really like that decision prop. We'll talk about it at the end of the show. The one thing that's got me a little bit bugged from going super heavy on it is when you watch Randy Brown versus uh, Jared Gooden. Like, that lead leg is way on display. Jared Gooden lands uh, to the leg 35 of 44 leg kicks. 35 land. He just targeted the leg the entire time, and it was on display. And you can see Randy Brown switching stances and having a lot of uh, – he was very uncomfortable on the lead leg, right, whenever it would get hit. Against Williams, Williams just throws so many damn strikes, including a lot of leg kicks. He's going to chop out this lead leg. It's up to Brown to counter with the jab. It's up to Brown to switch stances and alleviate some of the pain when need be and to just keep moving the entire time. But he was able to do that against Jared Gooden, who's one of these muscular, strong, stocky, trying to cut off the ring and knock you out type fighters. I think he should be able to do it versus Chaos Williams. Of course, the difference between Williams and Gooden, Gooden doesn't really have that same output, whereas Williams is going to be looking to throw the entire time. It's a dangerous fight. It's a versatile. It's a volatile fight. Sorry, but I think I'm also going to lean towards the Randy Brown side, and that decision prop's just too good for me to look away. So that's the that's that's the route I went. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's very interesting when we get like these decision props are ballooned up because the guy gets a bunch of finishes earlier, but it all comes down to the style that he's going up against, right? It even happens in reverse fashion as well, where a guy is a uh, perfect example, Sajar Eubanks, which he went up against Elise Reed. Only decisions on a record, but given how she matched up with Elise Reed that night, she was going to get the finish, which is why the, a lot of people hammered that and got some good plus money on it as well. All right, that wraps up the prelim portion of the UFC 274 card. Shout out to the 110 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Show the all-star folks that you guys enjoy us and appreciate us on the channel so that they keep us around for a long period of time. I know they have plans on keeping us around for a long time, but your your uh, stamp of approval definitely goes the wrong way. And by doing that, it's pretty much just hitting the like and hitting the subscribe, dropping comments below as well. Really helps us out also shout out to bet online for supporting the show make sure you guys check out their uh their website link to their channel or their their show um, 
Their website is in the description below. Uh, they are one of the best MMA bookies out there for early lines, props, as well as regional MMA betting. And who knows, we might even get Cody's promotion on there as well so that you guys can bet on some of his fights. 50% welcome bonus up to $1,000 to take advantage of as well. You just got to hit the link below and show them some love. Shout out to CloudBet as well, but I'll continue to plug them throughout the show because they got some juicy props for you guys that you guys are going to want to bet on over the next couple fights once we get to the main card. All right, let us get to the main card. First fight of the night, or first fight on the main card. We're going to go with Donald Cowboy Cerrone going up against Joe Lozon. I think it's 2013, Cody, because I can't believe that this fight is on the main card here and still happening in 2022. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 175 for Cowboy, plus 150 to return on Joe Lozon. Very, very intriguing fight here. Both guys, you know, they're at the stage of the career where a lot of people are asking them to hang it up. However, Joe Lozon is actually coming off a victory. Not just a victory, a finish over a very, you know, hot prospect right now. And Jonathan Pierce went out there, flat uh, dropped him in the first round, blew up his eye. If I'm not mistaken, he broke his orbital bone with one of those punches, gets a dominant position, starts raining down shots, eventually getting the stoppage via TK. AO, big win for Joe Lowe's on there. But that was following a, uh, a very sad three-fight losing skid that he was on. Uh, Stevie Ray beat him by majority decision. Clay Guida, out of all people, knocks him out in a minute of the first round in their fight. And then uh, Chris Gritzmacher makes him quit on the stool after round two. We thought that was the end of it. He came back for that Boston card where he was able to get that big moment. That would have been a perfect moment for him to just strap, unstrap the gloves, put him in the cage, and just be like, I'm calling it in my hometown. A big win over a, a hot prospect. But he's like, ah, fuck it. Here we go again. Let's go with the, get the Cowboy on our belt. Uh, so he's strapping it up here against uh, Cowboy once again. Same thing with Cowboy. Yesterday was the three-year anniversary of the last time he got his hand raised. Cody, do you remember the last person he beat? Off Cowboy's the top of your head. Donald Cerrone? Yeah, no, I don't, don't, don't look at your UFC stats. Right I'm now. not. I'm the one trying to blank here. I'm thinking something else. Uh, Don Cerrone's last win is. I don't know. What was it? Ally Quinta, when he headlined no. against him at UFC Ottawa way back in May of 2009. It was in Ottawa. That's right. By the way, though, he absolutely killed Ally Quinta. It was a yeah. vintage performance. It's just been rough stretch since then. Very, very rough stretch for uh, Cowboy Cerrone since that fight, losing his next fight to Tony Ferguson, then losing to Justin Gaethje, then losing to Conor McGregor, then losing to Anthony Pettis, then goes to a split draw against Nico Price. If you guys remember, in the first round, Nico Price gets a point taken away for repeated eye pokes. Then he goes out there in uh, May of last year and gets starched by Alex Morono in round one. Not a good look for Cowboy Cerrone over his last couple of fights, but you got to believe that this is a solid opportunity for him to right his wrongs. He's a much better striker here compared to Joe Lozon, has better cardio, uh, and his jiu-jitsu is good enough to hold up with what Joe Lozon is best at, his jiu-jitsu. So as long as Joe Lozon doesn't go into rabies mode and tries to, you know, swarm him with punches early in his fight, landing one of them, that starts a, a barrage and he gets another standing TKO, similar to what Alex Morono does, I just don't see how Cowboy loses this fight. Now, I just talked to Tyson Chartier a couple hours ago, who's pretty close with Joe Lozon, you know, uh, Northeast guys, uh, you know, representing uh, the, the Boston area, the New Englanders. Um, he's saying that Joe Lozon, you know, just been living, training at the gym pretty much day in and day out over the last several weeks preparing for this fight. He is very determined to go out there and get the dub. 
But I also talked to uh, Cody Donovan earlier this uh, this morning, uh, and he was talking about how he saw uh, Cowboy Stroni pretty much just having his uh, RV parked up at the, uh, the the parking lot of the UFC PI, really trying to get ready and get in shape for this fight as well. Uh, we saw him very emotional a couple of days ago at the press conference, talking about his son and how he's excited to see his son ringside when he makes the walk. You got to believe that's going to fuel him a lot here to try to go out there and right his wrongs from his last couple of fights. I think Cerrone, you know, again, as long as he stays conscious in the first three to four minutes, he should be able to start piecing up Joe Lozon and really put the hurting on him the later that this fight goes, eventually finishing him probably in the second or third round. Um, shout out to Dan Goldstein here saying Lozon round one at plus 1200 via KO. Not a bad look, especially considering that Cowboy Cerrone has been a slow starter notoriously throughout his career. But I'm hoping that he can uh, get through that because I do think he absolutely whoops on Joe Lozon if he can give us even 70% of what he used to be at during his peak. So give me uh give me cowboy, give me cowboy inside the distance as well, which is currently sitting at plus 125. Uh fight doesn't go to decision around minus 200, under two and a half at minus 180. I like all those. Both these guys are veterans. Both these guys are veterans with a plethora of performance bonuses, fight of the night bonuses to their name. I think they add another one to their uh to their mantle here with a, a violent fight causing one of them to uh to uh, lose via finish. I believe cowboy is gonna get his hand raised. How uh, how confident are you that Cowboy gets it done as well? Or do you think Joel Lozon springs the upset? Yeah, it's just a lot harder because they're a lot more advanced age. Like, if this is a prime-for-prime prime fight, yeah, I mean, it could be fight of the night all day. But it's competing with Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliver versus Justin Gaethje. Like, many ways that this one could go. But this this UFC pay-per-view main card is a throwback to the OG fans. Yeah, man. Oh, my God. It's just like, well, <laughs> can I buy it? It's like, I think so. It's like, well, what's on it? Donald Stroney, Joe Lozon. Oh, sweet. What else? OSP versus Shogun. No way. Shogun, how old is he? 40. How old is he? 39. <laughs> and then like, what else is on it? Michael Chandler, you know, mid-30s, former Bellator champ versus Tony Ferguson. Been around the sport since Ultimate Fighter Live, you know, a decade ago. Like, they're, they're all household name guys. Rose Namajunas, you know, a long-tenured champion. Uh, Carlos Sparza, former champion. And then, of course, Charles Oliveira, who's his favorite fighter because of the horse racing stuff. Versus Justin Gaethje, who's his second favorite fighter because of all the fight of the years. Like, plus he used to watch him back in World Series of Fighting, and he was like, "This is my guy." He was like, "Yeah, well, that's not going to be able to last forever." <laughs> five forward, five years, dude's still doing that shit. Like, how do you just fight like that? Incredible. So yeah, I mean, it's awesome that this kind of fight, Cerrone versus Joe Lozon's kicking off the main card because, again, it is a throwback. But I, I don't really know what to expect. I think Cerrone, all the things you mentioned, he's a better wrestler. I wouldn't say he's a better grappler, but. His wrestling is good enough that he should dictate if he wants to fight to take place on the feet or on the floor. And yeah, I think he's the more refined striker. He should have the output. He's longer. He's ranger. You've seen Joe Lozon get in there with elite level strikers and he generally gets killed, right? The one X factor is that Cerrone's always had a problem with a slow start. He's always had a problem with people getting the jump on him. And this is going back to, well, pretty much all of them. But I remember when he fought Anthony Pettis. This is 2013, okay? He did an interview after the fight. And he talked a lot of shit before the fight. And he was like, man, I talked all this. Sorry, the Nate Diaz fight. He's like, I talked all this shit. And when this guy came at me, he's like, I froze up. He took a beating. He said the exact same thing against Anthony Pettis. He's like, I talked all this shit. And when I seen the guy standing there right before they started to fight, and I seen him walking back and forth, he says, I knew right in my head, I done fucked up. That's a weird way for a prize fighter to be thinking, right? But these guys come at him. They don't buddy-buddy with him. Those are the guys that beat him. He'd lost to Rafael Dos Anjos in a minute, a minute and six. He bulldogged him. 
Jorge Masvidal should have got stopped after the first round, but they stopped in the second round when he's all the way out. He got absolutely killed. Darren Till goes right at him, knocks him out in the first. Leon Edwards, not a power guy, just beat him pillar to post. Ferguson, Gaethje. It was interesting when Conor McGregor fought him because Conor, for, you know, he does have good skills. People give him shit on that. But his tape studies advanced. Like, he knows how he should win these fights. It's whether or not you're able to do it. He knew how to fight could be. He tried. He just doesn't have the takedown defense to do it, nor does anybody for that matter, right? He knew how he wanted to fight uh, Dustin Poirier. Didn't materialize. They watched the tape, and they knew exactly it with Cowboy. This is the perfect opponent because you can just bum rush him right off the get-go. Storm him before he gets a chance to get going. And, of course, he does knock him out in 40 seconds. That's what's been plaguing him. He should have beat Alex Morono his last time out, but he doesn't wear the shots quite as good. And when these guys don't want to buddy-buddy him, buddy-buddy with him because he's the legend cowboy Donald Cerrone, when they come at him and they land strikes, he kind of wilts up a little bit. Joe Lozon, the way he fights is usually coming right at you. The way he fought his last time out against JSP was that's exactly how he fought him. He came out, barn burn, and knocked him out. Yeah, the fight was in, uh, in Boston. Yeah, he had the home crowd. Yeah, it was a retirement fight. But if he takes that approach... He could have success over Cerrone. The two reasons why I'm not going to pull the trigger there and I am going to continue to go with Cowboy is take the Jonathan Pierce fight in Boston off the table. He's been looking terrible. You brought all the fights up. Grootsmacher, which you said he quit on his stool. He did not quit. His corner had to do it for him. They're like, Joe, no more, I mean. man. No more, Joe. Like, this is done. Clay knocked him out. You know, you brought that up. Clay, not known for his punching power, knocks him out in a minute. None of this bodes well for you. Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray outlanded him like 116 to 48. He does beat him pillar to post. None of that's, oh, yeah. By the way, you say, when's Cowboys last win? When's Joe Lozon's last win before that was Marcin Held? And remember, he raised Held's hand and was like, I didn't win that fight. I didn't win that fight. Who's, who says that? Post fight in the octagon says, I don't think I won that fight. I think that dude won. It's been a bad stretch. So, yeah, he's coming off a win three years ago. Yeah, he looked good in that fight. But beyond that, he really looked shop-worn. And Cerrone definitely looked shop-worn as well. It's just he's at least been mixing it up with some of the best guys on the planet. Morona, maybe not so. But Morona's still a top 15 guy, a fringe top 10 maybe. And everybody else has got world-class credentials. I'm also inspired by the fact that Cerrone 2019 fights four times. Cerrone 2020 fights three times and squeezes in a grappling match, right? But he fought once last year, knocked out against Morono. He's taken a full year off. That's unusual for him, but that's what he needs. He can't just be competing all the time, wearing tear on the body. You need to clear his head. You need to go do some wakeboarding and do some skydiving and do all these things and realize I miss it. I want to focus. And if you're going to fight, you got a kid now and he's getting a little bit older. He recognizes what's going on. You got to be competitive. You can't just go out there for the paycheck. He's got money. He's not fighting for a paycheck. It's all about being competitive. And as you mentioned, you know, parking the, R the RV outside of the apex, putting in the work. He's emotional uh, at the press conference earlier this week. It seems like he's in a good enough spot that a better version of him should show up. And if that is the case, that better version of him should be enough to handle Joe Lowe's on. So I think we're on all the exact same points on this fight. I like it. I like it. I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought up the Alex Morono uh, fight in particular because it's hilarious the 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 route or the path that Alex Morono's on since that fight. He get he beats Cowboy Cerrone, then takes on David Zawada, which is arguably a step down. Then he takes on Mickey Gall, which is another step down. Like he's going the wrong direction while getting wins. I don't know what the UFC's trying to do with him. Yeah, and, and funny enough, the fight right before Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, dude, he's close to winning that. He whips Pettis up in the first round. Yeah. Second round, he tires, and it gets edged Pettis. In third round, he's just completely gassed out. But could have had a win over a former world champion, wins over a former world title challenger, and then, yeah, they book him with a 
not particularly winning German jiu-jitsu fighter. And then, yeah, Mickey Gall, who I assume is going to get released at this point, simply because he makes too much damn money. But, uh, you know, just a failed a failed uh, project for the UFC, I guess. I, I hope they keep him around so I can at least win one more match against him here because uh, shout out to my, Mike Malott filling up my bank account with, with some uh, money there off that win. Can't believe people are writing off my guy Mike Malott because he had a, you know, a split a split draw a couple years ago after taking all these years off from fighting and everybody thinks he sucks now. To lose to a guy like Mickey Gall, show my guy Mike Malott some fair, That's fair, but the ending sequence, he's getting hit, he's getting hit, and it's like, God damn it, Mikey, and then he just sleeps him. <laughs> he's like, oh, whoa, whoa. Like, uh, <laughs> MMA is such an unforgiving sport. I know, I know. You only remember the good times. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Speaking of good times, those are way past Shogun Hua at this moment in time. He's going up against Ovin St. Pru. In terms of odds, we got minus 235 on St. Pru, plus 200 the return on Shogun Hua. And I just uh, came to my mind to see what were their odds the first time they fought. Let me just quickly pull that up for you guys. That was way back in the day. I believe it was close to eight years ago now. It was in uh, Brazil. Fight night. It was. It was. It was. No, I think it was uh, Japan. Was it not? Why is I it, it was Japan? I'm pretty sure it was in Brazil. I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up in a second here. But either way, uh, Shogun Hua was the minus 160 favorite that night, and he gets iced in 34 seconds by uh, Ovin St. Pru that night. And Ovin's is trying to uh, do better this time around, which is going to be very difficult to do. But I still do think he goes out there and gets this early win over Shogun because, man, Shogun just doesn't take strikes well anymore. You see him get cracked by a lot of guys. He, he folds up. He moves backwards. With the guy as explosive and powerful as Ovin St. Pru, I think he uh, pretty much does the same thing, right? His patented check left hook or counter left hook that he's able to hit with a lot of these guys with, uh, you know, still very powerful. Uh, he nailed it against Alonzo Menafield a, a couple fights ago. He nailed it against Shogun Hua when they fought eight years ago. And it could absolutely happen here once again as Shogun Hua is just way too slow. I'll give this to Shogun, though. The later that he's getting in his career, the smarter he's getting in terms of fight IQ. Like, he's going for takedowns at opportune moments. He's engaging in the clinch at opportune moments and trying to slow down the fight so he's not getting hit by guys like Antonio uh, Noguera and even uh, the first Paul Craig fight. But then seeing how he got his back took by Paul Craig in that second fight and then ultimately tapping two strikes was just too much for me to even handle at that point in time. That was way back at UFC 255. It's been a lot longer since then. He's officially 40 years old now. He should legit be hanging them up. And it's not like Ovin St. Pru is a spring chicken himself, right? I think he's about 16, 16 to 18 months younger than him. So he's still up there in age himself, but he still has enough knockout power. He still has enough explosiveness to eventually find that Shino Shogun and put him down. The spot that I like the most, though, is uh, the under two and a half, which is currently sitting at minus 155. The, the one and a half is a little bit sketchy because it could, you know, get, get pushed into that second frame. But I do think it's going to be OSP that deads him once again in that first round. Uh, OSP in round one currently sits at plus uh, 200. I don't mind that. OSP inside the distance currently sits at minus 115. Don't mind that either. But I think that this pretty much goes the same as last time. And if you have a CloudBet account, shout out to CloudBet. If you haven't signed up, make sure you guys hit that link below. They actually have a prop for the fight. Um, will the fight last longer than the first fight? And again, the first fight lasted uh, 34 seconds. If you uh, select no, it goes less than 34 seconds. You're getting plus 1,200 odds. 
if you select yes, more than 34 seconds, it's minus 2,500, obviously speaking. But if you think he can finish it quicker than he did last time, those are some pretty damn juicy odds for you to take advantage of. So I'm going OSP, OSP round one. Shogun decision is intriguing if this fight does go later because, again, he might you know get some takedowns, and OSP has been known to slow down later in fights. Uh, Shogun by decision is plus 500. But, man, it, it, I'd be surprised if he ate clean shots here from Ovin St. Prue and continues chugging forward. Give me OSP, OSP round one, plus 200. Let's fucking go. What are you seeing here, Cody? Yeah, I mean, I think both guys are a little older and definitely shot, but I think uh, it really screams Shogun's durability and just, it's gone. I mean, he's legendary status, but his body just can't keep up with it anymore. Remember, he had bad knees 15 years ago. The guy yeah. had bad knees. So, like, it's not going to get any better. And now that he's a little older and the weight cuts are a little tougher and he doesn't show up in great shape, like, none of it bodes well for him. You know what's a super interesting stat is that Shogun is one year older than OSP, right? And OSP actually has one more professional fight than Shogun. He's got 41 fights. Shogun's got 40, and they're only a year separates them, right? OSP had his first amateur MMA fight in 2007, and Shogun lost to Forrest Griffin that same year in his UFC debut wow. after coming off a legendary pride run, which saw him beat Alistair Overeem in his last pride fight. He beat Ricardo Arona. He stomped the shit out of him. He had fought Mark Coleman. He had fought in some of the best, Kept Randleman. All of that was completed before he ever made his debut in 2007. And that's the same year that OSP has an amateur fight. And now fast forward to 2022, OSP's got more pro fights than Shogun has. And he's a lot more relevant. And it's been sad watching Shogun in the decline of him because it's just been like one thing after another. Oh, no way. I, 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 I bet the guy over John Jones, you know, I'll admit it. I mean, I thought, I thought Shogun was the man. I watched him. You were at the, when he beat uh, Leo Machida in Montreal. He was like, the poster right here. Like, who's going to beat this guy? His striking is nice. Five round cardio. They robbed him in LA in the first fight with Machida. I thought he should have won. It's like, this guy's the man. You know, he knocks out uh, Chuck Liddell. He's got all that good shit going for him. He's the absolute man. Love this guy. And then since then, of course, it's just kind of been one setback after the other. But let's talk about recency because that's all that really matters. So when he fights Pat Paul Craig the first time, um, he's a minus 260 favorite. I would agree with the price tag. Why do I agree with the price tags? Again, in my mind, Shogun is a black belt. I don't think he's going to submit it from Paul Craig, who's not Paul Craig at the time. Like he's still just, you know, bear Jew, Paul Craig, not great. He hasn't hit legendary status. And then it's a striking. Paul Craig has one knockout win in his career right? It's again like Dan Konecki and it's from like 2008. He's not a striker. He doesn't have power. That is not his path to victory. When Paul Craig stands with guys, Paul Craig gets knocked out. When Paul Craig gets the fight on. Well, you got to triangle you off his back. That's where he shines. Striking's no good. The first fight with Shogun, he absolutely beat the crap out of Shogun <laughs> in that first round. Strike it. Beat the crap out of him with his hands in the first round. How is it possible the legendary Shogun who was getting his ass kicked by Paul Craig standing almost knocked out in the first? 10-8 round, and Paul Craig tires out, and he wins the second and the third. Yeah, it's a draw, but that was an eye-opener that, like, he's an elite-level striker who just got his ass kicked by a guy who's a very low-level striker. So his best path of victory is now off the table. He can now, in theory, lose to anybody in the division stand-up. His ground game, not that good. His wrestling, not that good. The Noguera fight is next time out. You can argue that he lost that fight. He looked slow. He looked lethargic. It just so happens he's fighting a guy that's in the same position as him. So he gets away with it. And then they booked a Paul Craig match. 
And now I flip size to Paul Craig's. It's like, it's not going to get any better. He's not going to suddenly find his speed again. He's not going to suddenly find his reflexes again, his timing again. All those things are shot. He's not the same guy he used to be. And then as a result, he gets absolutely killed by Paul Craig, taps out due to strikes. I would say I was ashamed to see him tap out due to strikes, but he did that against John Jones back in the day. Too. Yes. <laughs> so there's, there's a part of me that's like Shogun doesn't really want to be in there. I mean, he is a fighter. This is how he pays his bills. He fought in a time where the money wasn't great. And then he also fought in a time where the money really was great. But I don't know how he's managed that money, right? I don't know how his, his body, his medical bills and all these and that. Maybe he just wants to compete for something to do. But he's not putting his best foot forward anymore. And he's not going out there with the same desire and the same skill set and the same frame of mind. And I just, I really can't get behind him. The scary part about the fight, though, is that I want to just spam bet hard on OSP because of the natural fate over Shogun. But you're going to have to be careful. You need to watch the weigh-ins tomorrow, right? That's going to be key. Because if you look at OSP, 41 fights, fighting since 2007, never missed weight in his entire career. John Mahal Hill fight, two fights back, two, seven and a half. Missed weight by 1.5 pounds. Rumor on the street was bad leg, bad leg injury. Show him to the fight, gimpy, couldn't make the weight, bad weight cut, and he got knocked out by John Mahal Hill. The very next fight against Tanner Bozer, he moves up to heavyweight, and he clocks in at 230. The last time he fought Ben Rothwell, his only other heavyweight fight, 240. Now he's committing to going all the way back down to 205 which is going to take a lot out of him at 39, missed it the last time he was out, nagging injuries. None of that bodes well for him. And he shows up here and he doesn't make weight and he is a shitty version of himself. He probably still wins the first round, but if for whatever reason he doesn't knock out Shogun in that first round, he's going to get tired. When he gets tired and he's a, a sitting target, every old dog still got a punch. As you said, power is the last thing to go. I do agree with that. Like Shogun could still chuck a bomb over the top, could still try to land something. But I got a feeling it's going to go towards OSP. Maybe similar fashion to last time. Hit him with a check left hook. Hit, hit him with something. And you know why I remember that fight was in Brazil? Because it was the main event. And I the Brazilian fans are the whole night like, oh, and then and then Shogun gets knocked out in a minute. And it was like, it was, it was like, oh, you were right. It, it was Uberlandia, Brazil. I, I yeah. keep getting mixed up because it, it was the uh, the Okami and OSP fight that actually occurred in Japan. And I believe that was when they were going to do the rematch because uh, I keep seeing that poster in my head. But it was uh, Okami that he ended up fighting in in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's weird that it's like, hey, do you want to go to Brazil and beat their hero? It's like, oh, okay, sure. But at least Shogun had a fighting chance. And then they're like, do you want to go to Japan and fight Okami? Who move up from 170 to 205? It's like, why? What? Why? Why would you should Okami move up to two hundred five? Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was Okami taking that on short notice, from what I remember. It was way back in. Uh, man, good God! Yeah, long, long time ago. It was a very long time ago that that occurred. Uh, yeah, uh, two thousand seventeen is when that rematch was initially supposed to happen, but now here they are, five years later. I was already writing off uh, Shogun Hua after he got guillotined by Chael Sonnen, and I was like, mm, that was probably like what 2016? Nope. 2013. So it's been nine years, and he still managed to rack off a couple wins. But when he does take up uh, steps up in competition or fight guys with legitimate knockout power, he gets put up. So uh, yeah, Shogun, just just hang it up, bro. Yeah. So my uh, my first day at Fight Network, right? Well, like I've been there for like a week, and uh, I don't know anybody. No one's talking to me, right? And how do you go? Oh, I like fights. Dude, everybody likes fights. Oh, I know lots of. <laughs> Who the fuck are you, dude? You're 19 years old. You don't know shit. So I'm like nervous. I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I want to talk to people. I just don't know what to say. And Robin Black's there and John Ramdean's there. Guys that I befriended later on. 
But uh, what do you bring up? And Dan Henderson versus Shogun fight, UFC 139, fight of the year. And that was like the, dude, you watch the fight, everyone's talking about it. I've been in fight for 11 years now, right? Shogun had that legendary war with Henderson the first time 11 years ago. He was shot that time. Yeah. He's already done back then. It's crazy to me that he's soldiered on. He's continued on. And the UFC, at least with Cerrone, it's like, man, a young kid could just kick his ass and we could really promote that young kid. Young kid could kick Joe Lozon's ass. We could really promote the young kid. But let's just put Lozon and Cerrone together. It makes sense to me. I'm happy that they did that with Shogun. There's a number of guys that could benefit from the rub of beating Shogun, right? OSP is two or three fights away from retirement. Does him no good. But at least they've made it a somewhat competitive fight for both guys. As competitive, I guess, as they could for Shogun without just, you know, you'd hate to see him lose to some guy that's eight and two from the Midwest who's making coming off the contender series. You know what I mean? If he lost like, to James Tahuna, I would have been like, ah, fuck. But thank God he knocked him out there. <laughs> that was great. That was great. I mean, he was actually expected to lose, wasn't he? He was a plus yeah. 25 underdog. And How- if I'm not mistaken, yeah. that, that's-, that's when James Tahuna came out with the men in black uh, thing. Yeah, because everyone thinking at that point, like, dude, this guy is shot to bits. Exactly. Crazy. All right, let's move on. After that, isn't that crazy? He's got a win, arguably the light heavyweight goat right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crazy. Sure, you know, at least the best guy maybe in the world. Who knows? Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got three more fights to get through, and this should be a very fun fight. We got uh, Michael Chandler going up against Tony Ferguson. Minus 400 on uh, Chandler, plus 300 return on Ferguson. Very, very fun fight here, but I think this line is a little bit off. Now I get it. Tony Ferguson shot. He's washed. Doesn't even seem to be in his right mind anymore. But the way that Tony Ferguson lost his last three fights, I'd be surprised if Michael Chandler is able to replicate those types of game plans. A 25-minute boxing clinic. I don't think that Michael Chandler is capable of that. Uh, and then two 15-minute uh, performances where the jiu-jitsu masters are able to just nullify the jiu-jitsu of Tony Ferguson and ride him for the majority of 15 minutes in their fights. He's been controlled for 80% of the time in his last two 15-minute fights. Michael Chandler is a great wrestler. Does he use it? No. He wants to go out there and he wants to be the fan favorite now, right? He be, he barely shot for any takedowns against Justin Gaethje. Went out there and just tried to strike with him. Obviously, he wasn't going to win that kind of matchup, but he knew that it would deliver a fan-friendly fight, and that's exactly what happened that night. He won a bunch of fans, even in a loss there, and that probably meant more to him. Now, is he going to go out there and try to do that against Tony Ferguson? I don't know. And even if he does take Tony Ferguson to the ground, will he be able to stay out of the wacky, unorthodox nature of Tony Ferguson's jiu-jitsu game off of his back? I don't know either. And if this fight plays out on the feet and Michael Chandler doesn't knock him out early here, can he deal with the unorthodox nature of Tony Ferguson striking, right? All the spinning shit, all the flying shit, all that stuff that Tony Ferguson brings to the table with the striking. I don't know. I do lean that Chandler will eventually find that button probably early in this fight, but things get very shaky if he's not able to, uh, especially with the longer that the fight goes, right? Tony Ferguson always has great cardio. That will never be uh, something that's questioned. I'm curious to know if Michael Chandler will be able to keep up with the pressure and pace that Tony Ferguson puts on his opponents. Like that classic Tony Ferguson style, like when he beat uh, Rafael Dos Anjos over five rounds, when he's been able to like push these guys to the brink and really make them work and probably even finish these guys later in the fight. I think the line is off, but the spot that I'm probably feeling safest with is actually the fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 180, even though under two and a half at minus 150. I think either Chandler sparks him in the first round, gets him out of there, 
or if he doesn't, Tony Ferguson can do some very uh, spectacular things late in fights that will cause Michael Chandler to be like, what the fuck am I facing right now? And I think he could potentially find a, a possible club and sub situation. And it wasn't that long ago that a guy like Michael Chandler was getting finished via punches by Charles Oliveira. I mean, Charles Oliveira, his striking is coming a long way, but he's not this crazy knockout artist. Tony Ferguson could still land a punch that could probably wobble dice, uh, Michael Chandler, and he could follow up with some sort of a club and sub situation. I'm still picking Chandler to win this fight. I don't agree with the line, but I do think he starches him in that first round with that first round KO. I believe FanDuel obviously has that round one KO prop, which is always nice to look at. Uh, that's currently sitting at plus, wow, it's only plus 250. But uh, yeah, I think Chandler gets it done early, but I'm probably going to bet the fight doesn't go to a decision instead, which is currently hanging around minus 180. Considering how chaotic I expect this fight to be, I think that's going to be a gift of a line. What do you see here? Yeah, if it was a five-round fight, I don't know. I could almost talk myself into a Tony Ferguson bet. In a three-round fight, it just seems like he's maybe too slow of a starter that he's going to need to finish Chandler in that third round and just push him. And Chandler really did show against that just against Justin Gaethje's last time out that even if he's hurt, even if he's tired, you know, he's still going to throw down. Still got a lot of heart. He's going to fight through. I'm just not sure on like what I think of Tony Ferguson's chin. I used to think it was legendary, but I say that it's like he got dropped by Michael Johnson. He got dropped by Abel Trujillo. He got dropped by Lando Venata. It's one recorded knockdown should be two because he I mean definitely went down twice. And then he got dropped by Anthony Pettis before I had his broke his hand quit. Um, He's he been known to get dropped. It's like the dude just springs back to life. And when he gets back up, he goes zombie mode. I mean, cardio for days. He's in your face. He pushes pr pace. He pushes pressure. He does all those great things. And then with Justin Gaethje, he never got knocked down in that fight. But it was just such a sustained beating that one's got to wonder, like, where he's at these days. He's 38 years old. He's had injuries. He's had mental health issues. I, I just find it, you know, hard to say Tony Ferguson is going to show up in excellent shape, ready to go, because he talks a great game. He always sounds like he's ready to go. And then the performances don't speak for themselves. <clears throat> Gaethje, I'm going to give him a pass there because Gaethje, you know, it was a crazy fight. He had moments. Unfortunately, he lost it. The Charles Oliveira fight, yeah, he just gives up the three easy takedowns. He gets nothing going. I, I don't know. Just he looked very flat to me. And then the Benil Darius fight, he landed nothing in the fight. He got taken down again at will and it's good being good at jiu-jitsu. You're throwing up arm bars, you're throwing up triangles. You're trying. He tries to grab rubber guard. He goes for this fancy stuff, but like eventually they're gonna have you figured out. Like Michael Chandler's training with Gilbert Burns. He's a meat and potatoes guy. Like this is what works, and this is what doesn't work. If you get into this spot, he throws up this funky stuff. This is how you neutralize it. I think Chandler's wrestling is more than good enough to take down Tony Ferguson. And of course, Tony Ferguson is such a defensive liability that he's gonna be there to get hit. So Chandler could knock him out. Chandler should just could take him down and maybe neutralize a couple rounds. Like, yeah, Tony just keeps coming at you. And I, I'm a little bit worried that when Chandler fought uh, Charles Oliveira, first round, he's got him dead to right. Second round, I don't know, man. Does he get hit and that's what hurts him? Does he get tired? Did he get overconfident and think I got this thing in the bag and just, you know, overlook him a little bit? But, like, from one round to the next, he fell apart fast. When he fought Justin Gaethje, I had a ton riding on Justin Gaethje. I'm not feeling good about this. In fact, <laughs> the TV froze and it looked like Gaethje was knocked out. It looked like oh, Chandler no. had him KO'd and oh, he was no. like off balance. I'm like, no. And then That's it came the back. Oh man, it was the worst. And then it came back and it was like, okay, he's good. He's good. But then Chandler seemed to slow down again. So it's like, he's definitely a very talented one round guy that can put on tremendous pace and pressure on you. But I do wonder if he doesn't knock out Ferguson, maybe it stretches. And as you said, you're leaning towards the Chandler first round KO because, you know, Tony's hittable and this and that. 
took uh, it took my, Justin Gaethje five rounds to take him out. It was a doctor or a referee stoppage. They just mercy kill. Prior to that, he's been dropped and hasn't been knocked out. Like, knocking him out, not going to be that easy. And if you don't knock him out, and El Kukui, the boogeyman, comes back, he could haunt you for sure. But I, I'm leaning towards the same thing I lean towards a Joe Lozon, the same thing I lean towards a Shogun Hua, is that they appear to be shot. They don't appear to be the same guys they once were. Keep in mind, Tony's uh, three fights ago, or five fights ago, against Pettis, he puts up 114, string of his strikes. Against Cerrone, 104. Against Gaethje, 136. Against Charles, 19. Against Benil, 15. That's very unusual for him. He's just hell on wheels normally, throwing elbows up off his back, rolling for the leg, create a scramble. It's it's not working anymore, right? There's something different. And I can't find the exact moment. Could be the damage sustained by Gaethje. Could be when his wife accused him of running across a freeway with a newborn child, hopping over a fence. Could be, could be any number of things. But to me, it comes down to Michael Chandler wanted to reinvigorate his career, right? He had lost to Patricio Freite. He was leaving Bellator. He comes to Sanford MMA, and it does look like his skills are as good as they've ever been, and he's fighting top-notch. Tony, meanwhile, has always kind of trained himself. A lot of the videos online of him training are, are him uh, you know, doing Jeet Kune Do stuff, like Bruce Lee-type workouts. He's bragged in the past about beating up amateurs in the gym, and he's got Eddie Bravo coaching him, telling him to roll for an Iminari. And then Eddie Bravo says after the fight, I don't even know what I was doing in that guy's corner. I have no idea what's going on. And he felt bad about it, right? It's like he's not putting himself in a position to advance and go to the next level. And it's 2022, man. The sport's so talented. So many good guys training at a high level. Like, Tony's regressing. He's regressing. So I am going to ever so slightly end up going with Michael Chandler. I don't think I love any prop on this one in particular, but I did find myself falling back on Chandler inside the distance if Tony is shot. I don't know. I want to just watch this one as a fan. From from a betting standpoint, there's money's gone, like the value's gone. Chandler's too big of a favorite. I don't feel super comfortable at, uh, with any one prop in particular, and I just don't got the balls to go with Tony Ferguson, who looks like you know shell of himself. So, kind of a pass for me. But of course, we got to make something official here. So I, I will go with that Chandler inside the distance. I like it. Plus 750 on Ferguson by submission. Always worth a little bit of a dart, considering how chaotic I expect this fight to be. That dart stroke. I'm sure he still has it up his sleeve, and I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls it out here. Also, on CloudBet, once again, shout out to CloudBet. Link description below. They have a will there will be blood prop for this matchup. Yes, plus 220. No, plus 185. So, Can you get a, can you get a will there be double blood, blood prop? Because I think <laughs> both of them are going to bleed. I think that's what it's going to be. But you know what they could do? You're a wrestling fan like myself, like from the Attitude Era. I'm sure you don't watch it anymore. But uh, remember they used to have first blood matches? And oh, yeah. it was just whoever bled first lost. They should offer oh, yeah. a prop like that. It's a first blood match. So even if your guy wins, but he's the first one to bleed, that's that's the prop right there, baby. I like it. No, I like it. Again, all great ideas that we can continue to pitch to CloudBet and get these uh, get these props up there. I know they love when we're able to come up with these. And uh, I know the fans who have been signing up to CloudBet, shout out to you guys. I know you guys are enjoying that as well. All right, let's get to the co-main event here. First title fight up, strawweight belt on the line, Carlos Esparza versus Rose Nama Yunus. They collided way back in 2014 where uh, Carlos Esparza was able to win via rear naked choke in round three and capture the strawweight title, which she quickly lost in her next fight against Ioanni and Jacek. But now here she is years afterwards, a ton of fights under her belt. Same with Rose, a ton of... Uh, 
improvements under her belt as well. Uh, Rose now the minus 210 favorite uh, and the return on uh, Carlos Esparza. Actually, the, the odds have changed a little bit. Minus 205 for Rose Namunas, plus 175 for Carlos Esparza. Uh, when they first fought, it was a pick and fight. It was minus 110 either way. And I remember Dana White being so high on Rose Namunas, similar to how high he was on Uriah Hall coming off the Ultimate Fighter. Both of them not really panning out immediately as he had expected, but Rose Namunas obviously achieving her championship goals, defeating uh, Yuani and Jacek back at UFC 217, and then capturing the gold once again, knocking out Wiley Zhang to get the title and then defending it successfully against her uh, in her next fight. Now she's taking on her fourth rematch in the UFC going up against Carlos Esparza here. Man, very tough fight to call. I do think the odds are wide, but I do think we've seen enough improvements here from Rose to say that she should be able to maintain her distance a little bit better. She should be able to get the better of the striking, Carlos striking. You know, while improving, it still has a, a long time to go, especially with the improvements that Rose has been making. But uh, I'm not a, I'm not counting out takedowns from Carla Esparza. I do think she'll be able to get some of them. But I think with how Rose is able to disrupt her balance from on top, attack with submissions, and even eventually, you know, find her hips on the, sorry, find her feet on the hips of Carla Esparza to push her off and get back to her feet. Uh, I think the damage that she's able to lay out on the feet will be, uh, more than what Carlos Esparza is able to do with the takedowns. Um, so I'm going Rose here, and I do think that Rose finishes her later in this fight, possibly a club and sub situation, or even just a, a club, right? She does have very underrated power, especially for being 115 pounds, but she can definitely find a KO of her own. Uh, Rose inside the distance currently sits at... Uh, plus 185 i don't mind that line there the under four and a half at plus 135 is very intriguing to me as well because i think if carla's grappling is just as good as it was back then and uh it has been improving just as much uh she could potentially find a submission of her own but i do think that rose has developed enough here to deal with the uh the grapple heavy approach of Carlos Esparza should be able to touch her up on the feet and then eventually find a finish. I know a lot of sharp people on the Carlos Esparza side and I completely respect and understand their takes. I just don't know if, uh, I, I think they're leaning too much on the fact that Carlo is going to get a bunch of control time from on top. Whereas from what I've been seeing in her fights and I've backed Carlo a bunch in her last couple of fights, right? She's been an underdog in a couple of these fights, but the one thing she kind of lacks at times is being able to get damage off from on top. Uh, she really needs to posture up to get some strikes off. And that's more often than not when opponents are able to get their feet on her hips, push her back, and then they're able to get back to their feet. That's something that Rose does very well, in my opinion. So I'm going Rose, Rose late finish, uh, but I also like the plus money on the under four and a half. How about yourself, Cody? Yeah, Rose, Rose by finish, under four and a half. I think it all makes sense. Uh, I like Rose Namajunas a lot. I think when, you know, as a promoter, right, you've got your marquee names, your best people in the division, right? They're the, they're the best in the world. They need to fight each other, but you need fresh matchups every now and again. And in this case, you know, you've got Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Muhammad Ali. It's like, well, we need to sprinkle guys in between, right? To me, that's what's happening with Rose. If you look at her last six fights, it's the same three girls. Back-to-back -back fights with Joanna, back-to-back -back fights with, with Andrade, back-to-back -back fights with Wei Li Zhang. A rematch with, with uh, Joanna and Jacek makes a lot of sense right now. A rematch with Jessica Andrade would actually make a lot of sense right now. A rematch with Wei Li Zhang would actually make a lot of sense right now. It's just he can't do it, right? It's in the same yeah. three opponents. So now you need to go back to something fresh. And when they used to ask Dana, what about Carlos Esparza? He laughed at it. What? What about Carlos? No. And Carlos would be like, well, I want a title shot. Not going to happen. But they need somebody, right? So this is not necessarily who's the number two girl in the world. It's, well, what presents a unique new matchup? Well, you know what? They fought before. And Carla beat her. It was a long time ago. It was an ultimate fighter finale. But first ever champion division. 
has a win. Then you got you got Rose Nalmunis going to the press conference after the last fight with Zhang saying, I'd like to rematch Carlos Sparza. It just wrote itself. But I think that a lot has changed in the last little bit. And I think Rose Nalmunis is at the top of the pinnacle. The three best girls in the world are those three girls that she's been fighting. Okay. Now keep this in mind with Carlos Sparza, right? Because what a hell of a run she's on, right? You look back at this run, it could very easily be disastrous. Loses to Claudia Goodell, loses to Tatiana Suarez. Who cares about those? Beats Verna Jandaroba. She got four takedowns. Didn't look great to me. Fine. Alexa Grosso, okay? She wins the first two rounds with her wrestling. Doesn't look great. In the third round, she's done, dude. She is getting punched up. One of the judges scored a 10-8 round for Grosso. That's why it's a majority decision. If you look on, like, MMA decisions, you'll see that uh, Michael DeSantis from MMA Sucker, Jay Petrie from Sherdog, Mike Sloan from Sherdog, they all scored it a 10-8 round as well. If this is a five-round fight, Grosso's going to piece her up, but it's a three-round fight, and Asparza controlled the first two rounds. That's the first one. Could have lost that fight, but gets the win. Now you got the Michelle Watterson fight. She went one for 10 on takedown attempts against Michelle Watterson, a karate fighter who used to fight at 105 pounds. Her wrestling was abysmal. It was non-existent. Are we losing Cody or are we losing me? Yeah, it's Cody, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Cody, we can't hear you. Jan Jonan has never been in those positions before. Say it again. You're back. You're back. You're back. Sorry, did I cut out? I was on a roll. I was fired up. I know. You, you were on a roll. <laughs> I know. I don't know where I was at when it cut out, but I will tell you this. Uh, she's been fighting girls that specifically lack wrestling, and even in those matchups, uh, her grappling doesn't look all that good. Tatiana Suarez, a legitimate good wrestler, fought her, took Asparza down nine times, and then went on the record last week being like, this girl's not a very good wrestler, and she's not very physically strong. I doubt she'd be able to hold down Rose Namajunas. And I'm coming to the same conclusion. I think Rose off her back's a problem. Zhang Wiley is stronger than Asparza, maybe not as clean of a wrestler, but stronger physically. And when she would take her down, Rose would get back up. When the fight is stay standing, Rose is going to pick her apart. And of course, isn't this a crazy thing, right? Uh, you've got a former champion in Carla Sparza, someone who has fought for the UFC since 2014, and she's never been past three rounds. They don't book her in headlining fights. They don't book her in five rounds. She fights three rounders. And in those three rounders, she looks pretty exhausted by the end of it. Five rounds, that's what seals the deal for Rose. She's a, a championship-level fighter. You saw in the Zhang Wiley fight, she's down 2-1 going into the championship rounds and is able to uh, keep the momentum going, score takedowns of her own, and, of course, cardio. She's got everything, really. I think that the price, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it one bit. And uh, I'm going to be riding with Rose here.
I like it. I like it. I'm glad that we're on the same side with Rose here because I've heard nothing but Carlos Parzeron, which I completely understand, but uh, a little bit of extra confidence here with the uh, Rose picks from both of us. Um, all right. Let's get to the main event here. Uh, shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Let the all-star know that you guys enjoy us on their channel. So make sure you guys drop a comment and let them know that as well. Uh, also, shout out to Bet Online. You guys can get the best or the earliest MMA props and lines on Bet Online, as well as regional MMA promotions. Check out betonline.ag. Link is in the description below. They'll match your initial deposit 50% of it uh up to a thousand dollars so take full advantage of that and then obviously shout out to CloudBet as well we got a lot of great props that we're about to reveal here uh when we talk about the main event so make sure you guys check them out as well link to them is in the description below one of the best um but well, one of the best uh crypto sports books out there as well and if i'm not mistaken one of the first out there as well all right let us get to the main event we got the lightweight title on the line with charles Oliveira looking to defend his title against uh justin gaethje in terms of odds we're currently looking at minus 170 for Oliveira, plus 150 the return for justin gaethje a couple uh, uh a quick stat for you here uh cody uh charles Oliveira last 16 fights which dates back all the way to 2015 only one has gone over the two and a half round mark and that was obviously the tony ferguson uh manhandling that he was able to do that night getting a bunch of control time and defeating him via decision outside of that it's either him getting the finish or him getting finished because the narrative for a long time was that once he faces adversity, he starts to slow down and he eventually looks for a way out and his opponents are able to get out of, get him out of there. But over his last couple fights, man, he's really fought through that adversity. We saw him eat some big shots against Michael Chandler, come back in the second round and finish him. We saw him get dropped by Dustin Poirier in the first round of his fight back in December, come back in the third round, jump on the back of Dustin Poirier and sink in that rear naked choke to get the victory himself. So a lot of questions finally being answered about Oliveira, and he's really putting everything back together uh, effectively. His striking, his jiu-jitsu, his durability, everything is meshing very well right now, and he's on a great run, 10-fight winning streak, not to mention having 15 submission victories on his record in the UFC, which is a UFC record number two. Damian Maia at number 11. So he has a stranglehold on this uh, UFC submission record, which I don't think uh, I, I'd be surprised if anybody ends up beating his record because I'm expecting him to add a couple more to that before he hangs up the gloves. Justin Gaethje, on the other hand, coming off that fight of the decade performance against uh, Michael Chandler a couple of months ago. Great fight there. Both guys back and forth. Uh, tremendous amount of damage being dished out on either side. But Justin Gaethje continues to show us that he's really shoring up his boxing techniques, which is allowing him to really get ahead of his opponents and just get the better of them countering effectively uh using his head movement using his footwork to get into the positions that he needs to cutting the angles that he needs to to get his strikes off his combinations off and sometimes he'll well he has some pretty good power in his hands uh, and i was very surprised that michael chandler was able to eat them over 15 minutes now he's going up against charles Oliveira, who is you know very much improved his striking, his Muay Thai ability, uh, and then obviously his jiu-jitsu game is his bread and butter. Very intrigued to see how Justin Gaethje looks to approach that. I I'm leaning violence here once again, man. Under 2.5 is currently sitting around minus 150. I'm going to be taking a shot on that, as I expect whoever wins this fight likely gets their hand raised. I'm, I'm going back and forth. I, I think the line is a little bit wide. I do think it should be much closer. we got to give Justin Gaethje a little bit more respect, especially you know if there's somebody that's going to make you quit, 
and you have been known to quit in the past, it's going to be Justin Gaethje. He's going to push you to the brink. Shout out to Joe Lozon for the perfect metaphor or whatever comparison that he threw out there. Was saying that Justin Gaethje is the guy to, you know, set himself on fire so that he could burn you a little bit. Like that is exactly who Justin Gaethje is. And he could do that here as well against Charles Oliveira. I do lean on the Oliveira side as I do think uh, he'll likely land a, a club and sub situation probably in the second round here. Uh, you know, dealing with the leg kicks properly of Justin Gaethje. And as long as he doesn't get hurt, which is absolutely a possibility that Justin Gaethje could land a good enough shot on him to hurt him and follow up effectively to get him out of there, something that Chandler and Dustin Poirier were not able to do. Uh, yeah, that is absolutely a concern, which is why I don't want to pay the chalk on Oliveira here, but I'd rather cover both angles here, go with the under two and a half, because I'm expecting violence from the jump here. The pick is going to be Oliveira. I'm going to say club and sub, but I'm not going to count out the uh, plus 750 via TKO prop for Charles Oliveira, right? He did just, you know, uh, take uh, Michael Chandler out of there with punches. Uh, he did have a couple of TKO victories uh, later on in his uh, winning streak that he's currently on. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could find that chin of, uh, of Justin Gaethje and, and get him out of there. But again, is it likely? There's a reason it's plus 750. It's a gamble more than anything. But I like that price tag. Uh, under two and a half is where I'll end up going. Uh, this is another one that Cloudbet is actually offering a will there be blood uh, prop. Minus 175 for yes, plus 150 for no. Um, and there are a couple other props I'll talk about. But uh, Cody, I'll let you get into this first. I'm going Oliveira. Oliveira's finished probably second round. Under two and a half is my favorite prop. How about you? And just in case you usually walks down to the cage bleeding. So I would say that prop <laughs> definitely a good chance of cashing. Part of me wants to take Gaethje again, the narrative, maybe when the water gets hot, uh, Charles Oliveira wants a way out, even though I strongly believe he's disproven that over his last couple of fights. Yeah, that narrative is going to be there. Gaethje's been talking a good game. He's a pressure guy. He hits hard. He's got good knockout wins. He's got everything, right? Even the leg kicks, all that stuff could add up tremendously for him. It's that. It's the unknown. It's the what do we not know. And this is what we don't know, because you're my boy, so you'll remember this. But anyways... Gaethje's first fight in the UFC, Michael Johnson, pure striker, okay? Second fight, Eddie Alvarez, striker. Dustin Poirier, striker. James Vick, striker. Edson Barbosa, striker. Donald Cerrone, striker. Tony Ferguson, people don't want to admit it, but he's a striker. <laughs> and, then, and then he fought Habib, and I, I bet Gaethje over Habib. You remember yeah. that. I took a lot of flack for that. People Still are like, get a lot of flack for that. Still get a lot of flack. How could you bet against Habib Nurmagomedov? I've got this thing where it's like, oh, Izzy's going to lose, dude. People say it's great gonna lose and then guy wins because he is great right uh habib same thing i bet michael bisping over george Chapier. pierre i betrayed my own guy because he'd been off for four years he looked like Where's the john hendrix how do i kick you out of here for that <laughs> i know i know it's just you know i think you want to go against greatness sometimes you believe well the guy's yeah. been so good but everybody gets figured out eventually you want to be the person picking juliana pena because you yeah. want to fade amanda nunez the the moments there you can see she's ripe for the fade but she always wins so eventually you join the bandwagon. Eventually you jump on the bandwagon, and then you realize this thing's supposed to have four wheels. Why is there only three? Right off the tracks. <laughs> terrible times, terrible times. But the uh, the thought process of him versus Habib was, well, we don't quite know, but Justin's been wrestling since age four. He wrestled out of a D1 program before leaving to pursue MMA full-time. He's at elevation, trains with a lot of wrestlers. If he can stuff a few takedowns to keep the fight standing, he could pose a lot of problems. The leg kicks will add up. The low calf kick will shut down Khabib's lead leg. Khabib won't be able to shoot the same takedowns he normally does. Justin will be fine. Khabib shot two takedowns. He got both takedowns. And once the fight hit the ground, Justin Gagey had zero ability to get back up. Couldn't scramble. Couldn't create space. Absolutely nullified. Two takedowns. 
when you look at how Khabib fights the average guy, it's multiple takedowns because once he takes you down, you get back up, he takes you right back down. Gaethje had nothing off of his back. His grappling, not that good. And this was the first time he actually fought a grappler, a wrestler predominantly. He was a fish out of water. And then and he got mounted triangle choked by Khabib Nurmagomedov. That was like, so what weird. Kind of world, what kind of world do we live in? Now he's fighting Charles Oliveira, who's one of the best grapplers in the division, one of the best grapplers of all times in the UFC. The submission leader, dude's got a calf slicer in the UFC. He's just choked out Justin Poirier with a rear naked choke. He's a serious problem in the grappling department. And if we question his ability to wrestle before him taking down Ferguson three times, easy money, that counts for something. He technically doesn't have a fight metric, doesn't say he took down Justin Poirier. But second in the third round, it was like, I want the fight to the ground. He could take it there, no problem. Poirier was really a man defeated at that point. Part of me thinks the way Gaethje fights is wild and reckless. He comes at you, and he's wild, and he's reckless, and it's the same reason Chandler beat him in the first round, and it's the same reason Michael Johnson stunned him in the first round. And the same reason guys have had success over him is that he's wild, he's reckless, and he leaves a lot of openings, right? Strikers, they'll see those openings. They'll capitalize. They'll punch him square in the face. Dude just takes it. Oh, shit. Those same openings for a grappler, it's like, I could take him down right now. I could take his back right now. He's off balance. I could do something with the position. And I think if Charles just elects to go out there and take him down and grapple him, that's where the real success is going to come from. His striking's good. He's worked on it a lot. He's got some good power. Maybe if he could sting Jake Gaethje temporarily, it would be great to shoot the takedown, right? Catch him off balance to then grapple. You got to go out and grapple. And I think Charles Oliveira is smart enough to realize, I don't really like getting punched in the face. Chandler had me rock. I don't want to do that again. Poirier had me rock. Don't want to do that again. You think he's just going to go out there and stand in front of Justin Gaethje and exchange punches? Would be a guy, bad game plan. Your world champion because you got to fight the proper game plan. Once you took Poirier into the grappling, that was it. That was the money. Would be the same thing with Gaethje, I think. You need to get him down. And then, uh, and then yeah, put your grappling to good use. So I, I am going to go with Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira inside the distance. But if this ends up on the top ticket because of uh, hedge out purposes, believe you me, I fully intend on hedging out. It is closer to a 50-50 fight in the case that, in the sense that it's very volatile. One guy's either going to knock the other guy senseless or the other guy's going to take him down and choke him out. It could go either way, sure. It's going to be high action. It's going to be high octane. It's going to be high energy. I, I like all that. But the side, I got to go with uh, Charles Oliveira. So I got him. I got him inside the distance. It's going to be a great fight. Under four and a half, I think that kind of covers you on both sides as well. Under three and a half probably covers you on both sides. You mentioned the under two and a half, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Likely, likely under two and a half. Three and a half, I feel better about it, but you know, you're giving up value as well. So determine, you know, what you feel about it. Probably doesn't see the judges' scorecards the way these guys fight, but I uh, I gotta go with the champion to retain. I like it. I like it. So we're both on the same side for these uh the and stills pretty much is what we're gonna be getting tomorrow night, or sorry, in two nights from now. Uh, but yeah, violence. I'm really hoping for violence under two and a half currently sitting around minus 150 under three and a half currently sitting around minus 220. So if you have access to this alternate totals, I would definitely, I'd say lean on the three and a half just to be safe. But if you have that two and a half and only the two and a half, I still feel pretty good about that. All right. Let us get to our three best prop pets, and then we'll quickly wrap up this show, as I do have another stream that I need to get to. Uh, shout out to my guy, Jason Hagholm, just holding tight for me. I'll be over there in a, in a quick sec there, brother. All right, let's get into the first one that I got. First, 
Uh, I have Ovin St. Pru and Shogun who a fight doesn't go to decision at minus 230. I think OSP drops him, rocks him in the first round. Looks just as good as the first fight. Uh, he even says in the press conference he wants to try to top that performance. I don't know if he'll be able to do it in 34 seconds or less, but I still think he gets Shogun who out of there pretty quickly. Uh, OSP round one is plus 200 as well. So if you want to take that approach, that's not too bad either. Uh, secondly, I'm going to go Chandler Ferguson. Fight doesn't go to the decision as well at minus 180. I'm expecting violence from both ways. My official prediction is Chandler uh, clocks him in that first round and gets him out of there, but I'm not uh, counting out a possible Ferguson club and sub finish the later that this fight goes. I don't want to touch that one and a half. That two and a half could get dicey, but the fight doesn't go to the decision is where my money is going to be at. Lastly, I'm going with more violence under two and a half and all very Gaethje minus 150. No plus money for this week because I think that there's going to be a bunch of violence. And even though that they're favored to, to finish inside the distance, I'm going to back those uh, favored odds, take the chalk here, and uh, maybe even parlay all three together and try to get a better line. But I, I would absolutely pay uh, straight up money on those last two props because I do think that they'll hit. All right, Cody, what do you got for us? All right, we did some plus money decisions last week. Things worked out, so let's go with it again. We got Clayton Rodriguez uh, by decision plus 160. Again, I think he's got the volume. I think he's got the pace. I think he's a legitimate flyweight contender down the road. Uh, just needs a little more experience. It's just I don't think he quite has the stopping ability to take down CJ Vergara, who, one, has a sweet first name, and second of all, seems <laughs> tough enough to withstand a few blows here and there. So give me Rodriguez. Rodriguez by decision plus 160. Moving on, we got Randy Brown by decision plus 325. Again, when you break down this fight, it is going to be close. It is going to be competitive. Chaos Williams is going to land those light kicks. He's going to come out. He's going to throw out a whole lot of output. But I think a long-rangey guy that's technically crisp and has a good educated jab will be able to outpoint him from the outside. It's a big ring. You got Randy Brown, 78-inch reach, six foot three, big long for the division, and of course seems to be getting a lot more comfortable as time goes. So I think he's going to be able to minus P's and Q's, stick to the outside, snipe him. And uh, plus 325 just seems like a very generous price tag for Randy Brown by decision. And then talk about generous price tag. We got to go with the big boy, Blagoy Ivanov. You know, a little slow coming up on the stage, on the screen, just like he's a little slow in the octagon. But don't <laughs> matter because Rogerio de Lima just does not have the gas tank. I think at some point he tires out. At some point, Ivanov is going to be able to end up on top of him, and he will just present the submission. Of course, inside the distance, a plus 175 also looks good. Yeah, but it's my last prop. It's my last banger. I want to go out with a little hurrah. And at 525, I mean, it's definitely got my interest. It's hilarious because this looks like I just got it completely wrong and we should be flipping it because I'm usually the guy with all the heavy plus money and now you're the guy with all the heavy plus money. But very interested to see how this one plans out. Uh, props have been pretty good to us over the last couple of weeks. Let's see if we can continue that trend. Last thing before we get out of here, I did forget to mention this about CloudBet. Uh, they have some cool props as well for the entire card. So, Cody, I'm going to ask you right off the top uh, right off the top here, which fight do you think gets fight of the night? Fight of the night, I would have to go with uh, Give me one. Sorry, what'd you say? Give me one. Give yeah, me one fight. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. I think that Ferguson's gonna come right at him. Chandler's either gonna knock him out, it'd be a thrilling one rounder, or Tony's just gonna take these punches and keep rolling with it. Got a feeling that that would be fight of the night. Plus 350 for Chandler Ferguson to win fight of the night, according to CloudBet. You guys can bet on that as well, so make sure you guys go check that out. You actually have to go to the Justin Gaethje Charles Oliveira fight itself. Click that, and then you guys will be able to see those fight of the night honors. If more than one... Uh, uh, fight gets fight of the night honors the bets are voided but they don't ever do that it's more often more performance of the night bonuses and no fight of the night award but if there is just one 
you get uh, your money. I'm actually going to go with Gaethje Oliveira, which is going to be plus 400. So it's the second favored fight of the night, uh, according to the odds on CloudBet. And then second question for you here, Cody, which main card fighter will record the fastest finish? Fastest finish. Uh, I'm going to have to go. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go with OSP. As sad, as sad as that is, as sad as that is, I don't. I think if I was a gambling man, which I am, that one seems like <laughs> the most reasonable. And you would get plus 450 on that because he is the one most favored to get the fastest finish, and yeah. rightfully so. After that is actually Cowboy at plus 500, Chandler at plus 600, and Charlie Oliveira at plus 650. If you think Carla Esparza gets the fastest finish, she's the widest here at plus 2200. <laughs> That would be a sight to see, right? All right, Cody, uh, anything you want to say on the back end here and then I'll wrap this thing up? I will only leave it with this comment from Carlos Barza Marina Rodriguez, where the guy comments, I would rather watch paint dry than watch Carlos Barza fight ever again. She got her ass kicked. She ate nonstop elbows, and when she finally got up, she ran away nonstop. Rodriguez got screwed. UFC judging is pathetic. <laughs> obviously he bet on Marina Rodriguez, but all the same, he's not wrong. I think the judges will get this one right. Uh, some wrestling, some top control won't be able to beat what Rose praying. So anyways, catch me on Twitter at CJ Safdick. I haven't been super active lately, matchmaking fights, doing all that jazz. But uh, Jason Hagelm, good guy, been waiting. You get to him. I'll talk to you later, brother. Absolutely. Shout out to everybody that's chilled with us today. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Drop a comment as well. Let the All-Star know that you guys appreciate us on the channel. And uh, make sure you guys check out CloudBet as well to uh, bet on all those crazy props that we just talked about as well as bet online to get access to all early MMA props as well as regional MMA promotions one of which will hopefully be the show that Cody is working on we'll see if we can get that to come to fruition appreciate all you guys good luck on your bets I'll be back for the ultimate weigh-in show on my channel tomorrow at 3 p.m eastern until then good luck on your bets and I'll see you guys tomorrow war uh I don't know I always end this off with war somebody I, I'm not trying to figure out who we're both on this week uh, let's say war Charles Oliveira I mean, I'm sure he's going to be on one of your Or teams. Charles Oliveira. Yeah. That's well, cool. thankfully, there's no Canadians because I'm 0 uh, <laughs> 6 in my last six Canadian fights. So uh, there you go. There I don't you know go. what the hell's going on. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate the support. Good luck on your best this week. And I will see you guys next week right here, same time, same place for propping you up. Peace out.